Hello, everybody. This is episode 74 of the Movie Maniacs podcast. And this episode is going to be covering the movie Mank, which, believe it or not, in a few months will have come out two years ago. And this is an older episode that Patrick and I did for the David Fincher retrospective that we did a while back. And I mentioned it before, but we had some technical difficulties behind the scene, but I'm super excited to be able to release this episode to you guys because this was a great episode to do with Patrick. This whole series was a really great experience from Fight Club to our conversation over the girl with the dragon tattoo, which, you know, that episode particularly was just a, a a really great one, and I encourage people who haven't listened to that retrospective to please do. I think it's one of our finest series that we've done on this show, and I'm really excited to be able to release the part one, part two conclusion to this retrospective that we did. I'm very proud of it, and I'm glad to be releasing this episode. Now, you know, some of the content may be a little dated, a little older, but Nevertheless, I think that the, the what we discuss with this movie is, I, I, I think, really holds up. And so I hope that you enjoy this episode. I'm very proud of it. I was really happy to do it this series with Patrick. This is episode 74 of the Movie Maniacs podcast, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you. This is episode 65 of the Movie Maniacs podcast. I'm your host, Noah, and joining me is Patrick Segan. We are here to bring our Finch retrospective to a close with Mank. Patrick, thank you for joining me. We're, we're at the end of the road, and, I, and I'm pretty excited to close it off with uh, 2020's Mank. Yeah, I'm excited, too. This has been a really great series with Fincher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see... We, I've only had, I believe, one not recommend in this series. So hopefully we're going to end it on a strong note. Um, we'll see. But because this is one of the uh, more decisive Fincher movies that we're here to talk about. This has turned into a bit of a, uh, a gray area on whether this was good or not. Despite the Oscar nominations and wins in a, a couple categories, which I was pretty su- surprised about when I was watching the Oscars. I know you weren't there, Patrick, but I was. This is my first time I actually watched the Oscars in full, probably picked a bad year to do it, but uh, we might even have a whole other episode breaking some of that stuff down. But uh, anyway, putting all that aside, Patrick, let's do, let's do the normal. What have you seen recently? Okay, so um, it's been a couple weeks for us so mm-hmm. i've seen actually quite a bit this time uh i watched bonnie and clyde um classic not much to say about that it's great mm-hmm. um dirty harry also pretty good and <clears throat> as i was watching it i realized that i'd seen at least part of it before but it was still great to revisit because i hadn't seen it in a while and um you know it's it's not one of my favorites. I'm going to be honest. I'm not really a Dirty Harry fan, but it was enjoyable for sure. And then I watched a couple of Joaquin Phoenix movies. Um, oh. 
some of his smaller stuff, like he won't get far on foot, um, which was like an Amazon original that came out like mm-hmm. a year or two ago. Um, it was actually really good. Surprisingly, Jack Black was the standout performance in this for me. Wow, at least. how about that? Um, he actually has a really great scene in this. Yeah, I, I forgot how much respect I have for Jack Black as a serious actor <laughs> uh, when he is serious, mm-hmm. which is rare, but, you know, to each his own. Um, and then I watched You Were Never Really Here, which, <clears throat> speaking of serious movies, is pretty uh, pretty dour. Um, it def- it de- deals with trauma pretty well, I guess. I don't have any trauma on this level, so I guess I wouldn't <laughs> know, but it's, it was very interesting. Um, <laughs> I may have gotten a little bit of trauma from this movie, but not too bad, not too bad. And then um, I watched Irrational Man, which, oh, was written by and directed by, oh, who's that? Ah, I'm blanking. I was like, oh, Woody Allen. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so kind of a, kind of a um, interesting character in Hollywood. Um, but this was also kind of an interesting movie. The premise was um, a little predictable, but also, um, you know, it was pretty late at night when I watched this and I enjoyed it. I didn't mind. Um, Emma Stone gives a pretty good performance here. Um, Joaquin Phoenix is obviously pretty good in whatever he does. That's kind of mm-hmm. what I found over this little three movie run is wherever you fit Joaquin Phoenix, if he has chosen to do something, then he'll, he'll give it a good performance. So I respect him for sure. Just don't um, ask him to host the Oscars because that's what he did last week. Or it was really awkward, really weird note to end on with Joaquin Phoenix, but I admired it for that. So, yeah, I saw an, I saw an interview with him and Riz Ahmed and like kind of leading up to the Oscars, mm-hmm. like talking about uh, Sound of Metal and it was really awkward, <laughs> but it was funny, dude. Joaquin Phoenix is a really funny guy. Like his sense of humor is, uh, <clears throat> I, I'm partial to it for sure. No one gets um, him either. He made it anyway. I, he made this joke at the Oscars about getting like, you know, in depth in roles, which is what, you know, Joaquin Phoenix is really legendary for. And he made a joke like he doesn't know anything about that. And it was just like, you could tell he's going for comedy yeah. and no one laughed. I chuckled. I was like, ha, 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 that's kind of funny. But it was just silence. Like you could practically hear the crickets. It was so awkward, but I loved it. It was such a weird note to end on. <laughs> it's act- That's actually really funny to me when no one laughs at a joke. <laughs> I think like internally, I laugh harder at that than anything else. I guess he's not much of a, um, a better comedian than Arthur Fleck from Joker. <laughs> I guess that's what we're getting when he hosts the Oscars. Oh, yeah. I mean, as long as he didn't shoot Robert De Niro, then I think <laughs> I think he was a little funnier. <laughs> Although, I don't know. It depends It depends on what mood I'm in with that scene. Um, so, a- anyway, <laughs> um, I've got a couple more. I watched some old uh, classic horror movies. I watched House. Have you heard of this movie? Yes, I have. House. Uh, it's an old Jap. The yes, okay. This movie was just as weird as promised by everything that I heard about it, and I honestly really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. There's some moments, like there's um, some fourth wall breaking moments that. I mean, spoiler alert. 
I guess it's not a surprise now. Sorry, but it was a surprise for me. <laughs> My bad. I apologize. <laughs> I don't know if you're gonna go watch this, but spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> but the tone of this movie is really funny. It's um, it like the first half of the movie, they really lay into the everything is kind of perfect trope at the beginning of like horror movies, you know, so that the the characters have way farther to fall than, uh, you know, a more measured and realistic approach. Um, but I thought it was really great. Performances are pretty funny and the directing is really cool. The editing is kind of unique among films. Um, I've never seen anything quite like it. Maybe I'm forgetting an instance where I have seen something like it, but um, it was pretty unique. I, I recommend it just for the editing alone, honestly, and the set design and pretty much just the production design of the whole movie was really great. Um, and it, like, I mean, a girl gets eaten by a piano. So if wow. you're into that, like, <laughs> this is this is the horror movie for you. Wow. Yeah. It, it You know, there were kind of some Garth Marenghi dark place moments in this, but um, I love that show. So mm -hmm. I was enjoying it all throughout. Um, and then I also watched uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, which I'd never seen before. Oh, uh, and oh. I also, yeah, kind of, kind of a classic that I'd been, uh, I'd been putting off, and I finally got around to it. Um, you watched this pretty recently, and I think you enjoyed it, right? No, I hate this movie. <laughs> I saw it um, really? last year for oh yeah, last year for you know my mom and I did this little Halloween marathon. Like each weekend, we'd watch a Halloween classic, and this was, I think, our last one. And I was I was pretty excited because, you know, this is a Nightmare on Elm Street, one of the biggest horror series ever. And I turned on, turn it on, and I, I liked bits and pieces of it. I thought Freddy Krueger was pretty cool. Some of the scares got me. But what really killed the whole movie for me was how bad the acting was. And I'm hoping you could comment on that and let me know if I'm insane for thinking that. But I thought the acting was awful. And, you know, we do kind of like it's kind of a trope in classic horror movies that they get some pretty bad actors. And, you know, with with Halloween and Scream, I had never really gotten that before with Scream. It, you know, it was hammy all intentionally just because that was the satire of the movie, but with and I'm on Elm Street is just so cartoonishly bad, especially our our leading actress, who I just could not stand, even Johnny Depp, who I am a fan of, I did not like in a Nightmare on Elm Street. So I am not very fond of this movie. But Patrick, what did what did you think of it? Well, I'm I'm not so hard on it as you are. I agree that the acting is not um, top caliber or anything, <laughs> but like by any means. But I I really enjoy performances. I, with horror movies, I do really tend to lean on like a a B movie style. I prefer that honestly. I'm not like looking to be like seriously like terrified or shocked by most horror movies. I mean, mm -hmm. there are definitely notable exceptions. The Shining is great, you know, yeah. like just completely getting inside your head. But unless you're talking about like that caliber of horror movie, the rest of it all pretty much starts to fall into B-movie anyway. So like my thinking is you might as well lay into that. Like you have to, you have to fit that lane if you're going to go through it. Um, 
So I, I really enjoyed it. Honestly, I enjoyed the okay. performances. Now I'm not saying they're good. I enjoyed them. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed the writing. I thought it was really funny at times, um, whether intentionally or not. I don't really care at this point. Um, it was definitely <laughs> laugh a couple times, and you know, um, Freddy Krueger was a pretty good villain. I, I thought like he. I definitely see why he's iconic. I definitely see why people go keep going back to these movies. I'm not sure I'm going to keep going back. I'm not going to watch the whole series. But I one thing about this movie, I will say I enjoyed it a lot more than Friday the 13th, which I I mm. watched Friday the 13th twice because I thought maybe the first time I just was like in a bad mood or something. That's why I didn't like it. I honestly think Friday the 13th is kind of boring. Uh, a lot of it seems very pointless and has like nothing to do with the main story. And the main villain, quote unquote, is not even in it. It's like his mom. But anyway, um, (laughs) this was much more like immediately satisfying. Maybe I just have like a short attention span or something. But I thought they got right into like the kills and the nightmares. Mm -hmm. You know, whenever I hear Nightmare on Elm Street, I do kind of think of like a horse like walking along a street at night, you know, like kind of like in uh, La Strada or something. But, um, you know, I pictured that, oh, like, kind of like the, the unicorn in Blade Runner, you know, like kind of yeah. like a dreamy horse walking through like a nighttime environment, except, mm-hmm. you know, it has to be a street. But, you know, this so this I would say this subverted expectations as far as the title is concerned. Yeah. Um, and then I watched um, After Hours by Martin Scorsese. Oh, um, yes, yes, yes. I've heard of this. Yeah. Um, really pretty funny not in like a laugh out loud way but like it was just kind of I had a smile on my face the whole time um really enjoyable um I've heard it compared to like uh good time except like good time is not a comedy (laughs) which I I kind of agree with that it is kind of like a one night in New York where yeah things just kind of keep going from bad to worse um but it was much funnier and I really enjoyed the lead performance and a lot of the performances, honestly, were pretty good. Um, there weren't a whole lot of big name actors in it, though, <clears throat> which I enjoyed. I, it, it seemed like Martin Scorsese on kind of a smaller budget, just knocking out a story that he thought was funny. And I went along for the ride and really lo- enjoyed it. Um, okay, back to the horror movies, though. I also watched <laughs> Day of the Dead. Okay. This movie was great. Okay. Day of the Dead. I haven't said this in a while. Okay. I haven't used this term in a while, but Day of the Dead slapped. Okay. (laughs) This is exactly what I'm talking about. This is exactly what I'm talking about with like the B movie acting, um, but still like writing that's interesting. Like it's not taking itself too seriously, but it's still engaging. The characters are over the top and funny. The zombies are hilarious and like they will mess you up and it will be terrifying. Like it not terrifying, but it will be bloody and over the top and great. And the effects, obviously, like I can't say anything more that hasn't already been said about them. But um I really connected <laughs> with the characters, like some of the characters. I really enjoyed following them through this story and this definitely seems like, I mean, obviously Night of the Living Dead is more seminal than this, mm-hmm. but 
still George Romero, and I think he's still killing it in this one. I actually prefer Day of the Dead personally. I thought it was more enjoyable. I thought it was more entertaining. Night of the Living Dead, I'm sure, was terrifying on its release, but I was kind of bored. Um, I agree. So this this is less boring for sure, even though there's not as much zombie action as I originally expected. But mm-hmm. I found myself not disappointed by that. I I was actually enjoying the characters more and the story that they were presenting. So I I really didn't worry about it. And by the end, the zombies come in full force. So I was I was satisfied for this movie, and it has a great ending. Like mm-hmm. I just loved it. Okay, <laughs> that's probably like my highlight. My highlight of the week. Yeah. Um, so I was sticking with this kind of like B movie, like action uh, mindset. I went with Escape from New York, John Carpenter. Oh yeah. Um, this was majorly disappointing. Probably oh. my least favorite John Carpenter movie so far. Yeah. It. it um, I mean, I know it's not as well regarded as something like The Thing or Big Trouble in Little China, but. I really didn't enjoy it. It was it was kind of boring. It seemed even more pointless than most John Carpenter movies, which is, you know, I mean, at least with Big Trouble in Little China, they do kind of like wander around pointlessly for a while. And that's kind of part of the humor. But in Escape from New York, I just wasn't feeling it. It's not as funny and it's not as interesting. But, you know, it, it still had some good moments. Um, so I, it wasn't a total waste of time, but I just didn't enjoy it as much as other John Carpenter stuff. And then other than that, I have started Game of Thrones, which I've never seen before. Oh. Um, all the way through, I've seen like an episode here or there. And it's really good. I'm enjoying it so far. I'm about halfway through season two. And um, yeah, still going strong. So I'll pro- I don't know if I'll finish it. I hear it falls off pretty strongly also uh (laughs) whenever Tyrion Lannister dies or if he dies I expect he probably will I might just stop watching because that performance is just like keeping me going through the show it's honestly my favorite part so far um who's playing is that guy props to Peter Dinklage yeah so my dad was on this show for a little while and I really enjoyed like I, I haven't seen any of Game of Thrones I haven't seen a single scene of it but I really enjoyed getting to hear him commentate on what he thought of the show because he was really into it. Unfortunately, when we moved into our new house, he just kind of like, once we set the TV and all that, he just kind of disconnected from it. It just never came back to it. But every time you watch it, he's like, son, I just cannot believe it. Another character just got decapitated and my mind is blown. If they kill, if they kill Peter Dinklage, <laughs> that short guy, I'm, I'm done with the show. I just, I don't think I'll be able to take it. So yeah, you're having a very similar uh, commentation to what my dad was saying. So that's kind of neat. Yeah, that's that's really exactly how I feel. That's so funny. Because I was sitting there watching with my dad and I was like, if, if Peter Dinklage dies, I'm going to be so upset. And then my dad was just like, he's probably going to die. And I was like, okay, well, thanks. <laughs> it's Game of Thrones. Like, I know he's likely going to die. But I was just kind of like, I'm trying to hold on to hope and connect with this character and you're just mm-hmm. kind of like tearing away my disillusionment man um or you know <laughs> giving me disillusionment anyway um so yeah really enjoying that and um yeah that's funny <laughs> he is probably the best character yeah 
So I guess I'll get into what I've seen. And Patrick, you can let me know if you've seen any of these yeah. movies that I've got on my list. Um, so okay. I said last time that I was going to be going through the Conjuring series, and I really haven't started on that little journey yet. I only rewatched the first Conjuring. That's about as far as I've gotten into it, just as a little refresher. And you know, the yeah, I said I was gonna rewatch Citizen Kane, didn't do that. So <laughs> there's no worries. I'll I'll make a point in our episode that this movie almost has nothing to do with Citizen Kane, but <laughs> we'll get into it. Um so the conjuring, I remember really liking this movie. I saw it on Halloween Day with a friend, and we both were freaked out by it. And that um horror, no pun intended, really did really did stay on the second viewing. This is this is a movie that I feel really does live or die by its its horror, you know, if you're scared by it. And I still was, mainly just because the makeup and effects are just really creepy. And a lot of the, the horror, I noticed, you know, they're jump scares, they're kind of cheap, but they worked, they were effective, and I enjoyed them. And I just like the whole concept of this world, the, the old technology they've been using. I thought it was really cool to see kind of like an old Ghostbusters or an, an older Ghostbusters that was cool to see and I you know I just enjoyed this world and the scares did work for me there were a couple moments I was just really bracing myself for impact it's like just like I was falling down a skyscraper and really just closing my eyes waiting for the impact to come and it was it was effective so I would say this movie does hold up on uh, repeat viewings, at least on the second viewing it did. I enjoyed revisiting the world and the trailer for The Conjuring 3 came out a couple weeks ago and I, I actually watched that trailer. And so it makes me more excited that maybe I can watch this whole series and then be there for Conjuring 3 when it comes into theaters. So that'll be pretty cool. And um, I also saw a new 2021 release, The Mitchells versus The Machines, came out on Netflix. I remember seeing the trailer for this last year and kind of a, a bit of a groaner. It felt really like, oh, you know, technology's bad. And I get that that's in many ways true. However, I'm really tired of you telling me that technology is really bad as I'm watching it on a screen. So that was just, the irony there was, was kind of something <laughs> that I wasn't enjoying, but I was kind of excited for this movie because it was by the guys who did Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and it had that same beautiful style of animation. So I was pretty excited to watch it. And so once I did, I was actually um, really blown away. I, I love this movie. It's, it's my, I think it's probably my favorite movie of the year so far. And I'm actually a little surprised by how I've been keeping up with some of these new releases. And this was the best. I'd give it a nine out of 10 strong recommend. I love this movie. It's completely over the top, crazy, just things coming out of nowhere. The comedy is hysterical. It's by Lord and Miller. So you know it's going to have some good comedy. And this movie did. It was really heartfelt and enjoyable. The, the family connections worked for me for the most part. There were some moments. There's this song they use. It's in like the Hangover trailer, if people know what I'm talking about. But it's, um, it's they use this song a couple of times. And like the father and daughter like sing it. And it's kind of cheesy and cringy and that was definitely a major disconnect I had I was not going with that little little 
I guess niche that the movie was going for or that that little get and it was not working for me I was my heartstrings were not pulled by that but for the most part I I enjoyed everything about this movie the comedy was really funny but it also had some really heartfelt emotional moments and the animation is beautiful I mean really just stunning stuff and it, it totally fits in with the atmosphere that this movie has on just crazy things popping up out of nowhere I really enjoyed this movie I'd give it a strong recommend I think people should check this out it's it's a ton of fun definitely a really good family movie I watched this with my younger brother Silas and he enjoyed it just as much as I did so yes this was a really fun movie to to come into I would definitely give it a a, a strong recommend and then I saw The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. The, I've been going through that little mini series with Jude and Silas, just like I did with WandaVision. And this actually was very similar to my experience with WandaVision. So for people who are just now watching the show, don't know what I think of WandaVision. I thought WandaVision was pretty good, great in the middle and bad in the end. So I, it was kind of a slow burn at the start. Once we got into some of the real twisty, mind-bending stuff, that was really cool. And then the ending does exactly the, the I mean, the exact stereotype of every superhero movie. When people make fun of superhero movies, this is what they're referring to. It's the big beam coming into the sky, CGI galore, <laughs> you're not really sure what's going on. It's just whatever. It's action. CGI feels so fake and artificial. And that's what the end of WandaVision does. I was really hoping that that show is going to be a good, solid reaction to Martin Scorsese's comments and Francis Ford Coppola's comments on MC movies that they don't bring anything really new to the table. They're fun theme park rides. And I was actually thinking one of them is going to prove them wrong by having clever writing and mind bending stuff with superheroes. And in the middle, it was doing that. But at the end, it totally fell into Coppola's and Scorsese's track. Exactly what they're trying to say. This show did. And that was really frustrating. I was so disappointed walking out of my living room <laughs> and so that was that was just a really disappointing experience for the most part and with Falcon and a Soldier I kind of was a little more hopeful for that because if this is just kind of consistent with fun MCU action then I will probably enjoy this and the first episode was yes a bit of a slow burn wasn't quite going with it like Don Cheadle popped up for like five minutes and that was kind of cool but other than that it was just kind of like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then all of a sudden, it actually got really good. The, 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 oh my gosh, the banter with Winter Soldier and Falcon. I really enjoyed it. I, I like laughed out loud. Like not a lot of MCU movies do that to me where I just laugh out loud. Mostly they're chuckles. Only like Thor Ragnarok has actually got like actual laughs out of me. And Falcon Winter Soldier, I was just really enjoying the banter. It was fun. And the action, I actually really enjoyed. It is very similar to that Winter Soldier Civil War action by the Russo brothers with what they did with that series. Really hardcore, really violent at times. I mean, you could feel the impact when they're throwing up against cars and things like that. And I was really enjoying it. So I was like, wow. This is better than WandaVision. And so far, WandaVision is the more acclaimed one. So Jude was like, what? And I was like, yeah, I'm enjoying this. This is more consistent. This is, this is really good action. And then we get midway and this character called 
Isaiah or yeah, Isaiah, he shows up and it's kind of like this, all of a sudden it's like, we're getting into these racial politics. I won't spoil them, but they did not work for me. And I hear that many people love this subplot. And I feel kind of weird saying that I don't like this because I feel like if our podcast was actually a, a huge podcast, I'd probably be called like racist, but this just really did not work for me. They're like, a black man can't ever be Captain America. And it was just like, I, I really am having a disconnect with this storyline and it was so poorly executed and I get what the show is going for and in a better script, it could work, but that they were using these really blunt lines was awful to me. And anytime that Isaiah character showed up, I was completely disconnected from the show. I just could not connect with it. Thank thankfully he only has like like six actual like scenes, but it those scenes really do damage some of the show's reputation for me. But the action story, I mean, it's good. Zemo, he's in the trailers, he's in the show. He's the best part about the show. I loved him. He is a really good character in Silver War and he continues here. He's really funny. And a lot of the comedy came from him as well. You know, there's that little dance that's going on on YouTube that that actor did. And that was funny. It was a little predictable with some of the twists. I knew a lot where the show was going, but even for the trailer, I kind of had an idea where the show was going. It, it was still a fun ride. And, you know, there's the uh, Walker character who's kind of the fake Captain America. That was cool. I enjoyed watching that. That was a fun little subplot, even though there was this character who was kind of his African-American Bucky. And that didn't work for me either. I did not like that character. And so that was also something I was dis having a disconnect with, but that actor Wyatt Russell, the uh, son of Kurt Russell, actually, which I found out after I finished the show, he too, I thought did a very good performance. So that was working for me. The last episode, not, I don't think it was as bad as WandaVision, but in many ways, kind of confusing some of the decisions the show went down. I'll give a little spoiler. Falcon gets this new suit and the suit is pretty awesome. Jude and I were pretty amazed and just in awe of how awesome the suit was. Falcon gets some great action because in concept, he's a pretty silly character, but the this the MCU has done a good job at showing him in action and you can actually believe the action here and I really enjoyed that Bucky got the short shrift last episode and certain plot lines were left open and I was hoping for a bit more closure and that was disappointing to me I just was having a bit of a disconnect with why the the show is leaving these certain plots open and the villain of the show, the uh, the Flag Smashers, it, the, the, the main villain is the actress from Solo. She's got a little bit of a role in there and she comes in. I like her, but this, this Flag Smasher, like terrorist group, like I just don't connect with them because we are asked to sympathize with this terrorist organization who kills people. I mean, they take lives and we're, we're supposed to forgive them. And I was having a real moral like ambiguity there, like, oh, it's okay, you know? And that was just, I was not gonna go with that. Like, no, that is not correct. Like, use, like the, what they were fighting for made sense. And I liked that concept, 
but that is not how you act on it. And I'm not going to relate to these characters that way. If they're going to be doing these things, you've, you've taken away the sympathy I, I can have for them. And that was a big problem for me as well. But for the most part, I liked the show. It was good. It's, it's nowhere near like my favorite MC movies, like Winter Soldier or Silver War or Thor Ragnarok, which are the best for me. It's still, it's still good. I would recommend MCU fans watch it. It's probably, there's so many unop- unopened uh, or opened threads that I think that it might be a necessary viewing for future MCU movies. We'll have to see. There's a big thing they do with the these two main characters that, you know, is, is going to play a huge part of in the MCU's future, I think. So that was, that I think that does make it some sort of essential viewing. But anyway. I would give that a solid recommend. It's got a bit of bad. Right, in your opinion, what's that? Is MCU future is MCU's future bright in your opinion? No, (laughs) (laughs) not really. I'm not really excited for anything coming up in the MCU besides Spider Man three and Thor Love and Thunder, which I am genuinely excited for. Taika Waititi is coming back. Russell Crowe is playing Zeus. That is awesome to me. So I'm really excited for that movie. That's going to be awesome. Other than that, like the Eternals, Shang-Chi, you know, like not characters that I like yeah. from my MCU comic experiences. And I don't know, it, the, the uh, we got a bit of a teaser for Shang-Chi and it just looked like you could, I could see them going for some sort of Bruce Lee thing, but it had that MCU artificial feel where i'm like no this is just kind of fake looking you know i don't even if they told me this was actual mm. these were actual stunts it's taken away from the fact that just this direction here kind of looks bland and artificial and so i can't really get into the action i saw from those trailers even though they were doing quote-unquote cool things i still couldn't really you know get into some of the action that we saw for the trailers so no i'm not really excited for the mcu's future with the exception i'll give another one loki the next MCU miniseries that I am truly excited for because I like Tom Hiddleston's Loki and that show looks really cool. And it looks like it's going to have some mind bending type of weird MCU stuff. I'm just hoping they don't mess up at the ending like these past MCU shows have. So that is something that I am excited for, but just because I like Loki and Tom Hiddleston's enthusiasm for that character will. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I I wonder when his enthusiasm will run out. Yeah, yeah, he is a character. I, I, there's it really is just not much to the Loki character besides Tom Hiddleston. I mean, there really isn't. It's because Tom Hiddleston's a talented actor and he's able to pull that character off and he enjoys playing that character. But they cannot just soak all the money out of this character with just hanging on that alone. So Loki needs to either freshen up the character in ways we haven't seen before or bring his story to a closure, which is really what I'm hoping for because I just don't want Loki to continue to pop up just because he's funny, you know? I mean, he hasn't actually had a genuinely great storyline since like the Avengers, which I'm going to defend the Avengers, Loki, because I do enjoy him in that. I think he's got some good writing backed up behind him. But since then, I mean, Thor Ragnarok, great movie, but Loki is not like, he does not really do anything important to his character there. And so they cannot continue to soak this character. And I, I definitely see what you mean by that, Patrick, because at some point it's going to run dry and they need to close this character off or do something new with him before that happens, because I can feel it coming if this, if this show does not work out. Um, but 
anyway, moving on, Patrick, I really want to know if this is one of the ones that you've seen. I saw Dracula by Francis Ford Coppola, starring Gary Oldman. Uh, have you seen it? Never this? seen it. Okay. No. Um, wow. So I am, you know, I'm kind of running out of options here, Patrick, on new things to see. And I was, I'm just kind of getting desperate. I'm getting a little more dangerous, you know, with what I watch. And <laughs> Dracula, I mean, I mean, just, I don't know if you could see it from what I'm about to show you, but Gary Oldman, that's the Dracula right there with his little heart-shaped wig yeah. or whatever. It's a really weird, wacky design. I was like, you know what? I am just going to completely put all of my money down on this. And that's what I'm watching tonight. The only movie, let's just, let's do it. You know, and oh my gosh, this is a weird movie. I was appalled by some of the things this movie does. <laughs> Never has the Dracula story felt so sexual than it does here. I mean, this is some weird <laughs> stuff they do here, Patrick. I'm not joking. Like, like Keanu Reeves, worst performance I've ever seen Keanu Reeves gives is here as Jonathan in Dracula. He's awful. I can't stand him. And I love it. It's just so bad and it's so incredible. I was just like, oh my gosh, Keanu Reeves is, he's in a dark place right now at, at the point of this movie coming out. It's just not a good performance, but he is trapped in this pit and all of a sudden Dracula's like wives come out and they're like, and they're naked and they're like crawling all over Jonathan. And I'm like, I'm like scrambling for the remote. <laughs> fast forward you know i'm just like scrambling trying to get out of this weird situation but i mean it's so weird like dracula has like this this sexual like feel on women like when he approaches and he's like you know the whole thing with dracula is once he bites you you know that's when you start kind of acting weird and then once you take human blood that's when you become a full vampire and when they're in that middle stage and dracula's presence kind of shows up like they act really really racy and really weird and I was just kind of like okay this is some weird stuff but it was kind of like okay well that's weird but I'm gonna like go with this like this is kind of interesting I want to see what happens Gary Oldman's Dracula is so weird the design that I showed you Patrick I wish was in the movie more he actually like is in this black top hat and like these old sunglasses most of the time and that was disappointing because I wanted that design in the movie more because it's a really cool design. Like, I like it. But it wasn't in the movie as much as I wanted it to. And that was disappointing. Weona Ryder from Edward Scissorhands is the kind of the main female, Jonathan's wife. And she and Dracula like, formed this love story. And what that is not in the book, I don't recall. And it's really weird. And I could not connect with her character anymore because she is like cheating on Jonathan with this vampire. And I, I'm just like, well, I can't really connect with you there. Like you were like cheating on your husband. It's just, it was so weird to me, but I get it. Cause Keanu Reeves is also really boring in this movie. Like he's just like, I get it. Like you want to get away from him as quick as possible. But yeah, it, it, the character, I lost connection with her. And then Anthony Hopkins shows up halfway through as Ben Helsing. And he is just so weird. I mean, Anthony Hopkins, a true legend. And he's just like, this movie, I could tell, like, he just thinks this movie's nuts. He's going to do 
whatever he wants and he does and it's it's pretty great like anthony hopkins was good he's really hamming up the the scenes anytime he shows up and i liked it the director by francis ford coppola is really weird i mean there was just some really just outlandishly racy stuff that shows up in this movie i was so shocked because this is not the um Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, Dracula that I am used to. This <laughs> is something different. And that was weird to see, but it's a weird movie. I would give it like a, a thumbs down recommend, like not a good movie, but people will enjoy this movie's, this movie's style is all I'll say. I mm. kind of lost my interest in it kind of halfway through. I was ready for it to be over. I, I was just kind of like, okay, let's, Let's bring it to an end because you're you're kind of losing me, and that was <coughs> that was a little disappointing. But w- besides that, Gary Illman he's a, he's of course good. We're gonna be talking about him today. So I'd give like I said a thumbs down recommend. Like it's not a good movie, but I think certain people weird people with weird tastes will enjoy this movie. I could see this actually kind of up your alley, Patrick. I don't know, but. I, I'd be interested in seeing what you're you calling me weird. <laughs> I'm offended. Some of your, you know, Garth. I Marie can't take this. Here. I take that as a criticism. <laughs> I don't like being called weird. It makes me upset. <laughs> well, anyway, I think some people will enjoy this movie. And with <laughs> that, that aside, I also saw. Uh, Mortal Kombat, which came out uh, this year. Yes, <laughs> fatality. That was something I heard a lot. Uh, this <laughs> movie, but yes, yeah, so Mortal Kombat had a really interesting looking trailer. I was kind of like, "Whoa, well, this is kind of weird," you know, like some interesting, awesome type of kills. The what really got me interested in this movie is. Um, Sub-Zero, I guess is what he's called. He he like stabs someone and blood shoots out. He freezes the blood and kills a person with it. And I'm like, if that is not the coolest kill I've seen in some time, like that was just, that was like, okay, I might need to see this movie, even though I heard it was pretty bad, which all the other other Mortal Kombat movies are. I mean, (laughs) no surprise there, but... I actually saw this movie with uh, some people from Rock City with my dad and we all got to watch it together. And we all, I think I had a good time watching this movie. It was fun. The action is a lot of fun. I mean, just a, a really fun action movie, but nevertheless, it is a bad movie with some bad acting and some just bad writing that just, just, video game movies have a really hard time being good and this movie is just not a very good movie i understand why people don't like it but at the same time i enjoyed myself i think people will also enjoy this movie i'd give it like a three a three star rating like i think people can enjoy this movie i would recommend it for that but it is not a good movie like absolutely not it's just it's non-stop action and that's kind of what i love about it It, it, there's not really there is a pacing problem with this movie, but it's not that there's not enough action. Like there is a ton of action here. And actually there was a specific scene in this movie that actually made me laugh out loud. And so there was some of the comedy did work for me, but at the same time, it was pretty like basic 
stuff that I didn't enjoy for the most part, but it was kind of like, you know, just cheap comedy that I did laugh at at a certain moment. But yeah, it's not a very good movie. There is this character who has a hat for a weapon, like just weird, like you know, that Singapore hat where it's just all around and it's like mm-hmm. metal and he like stabs people with it. And like, this is stupid. Like, this is a stupid idea. Like, <laughs> this is a bad idea. I right? like with the actual video game. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't played the Mortal Kombat game, but my coach who, who saw this movie with me, he must be a big fan because he's like, like we're watching the movie and you know, it's a, the opening is Scorpion, the older Scorpion versus Sub-Zero. And they're fighting and Sub-Zero wins and Coach Kirby out loud in a theater with people and it goes, no way does Sub-Zero beat Scorpion. So like there was like, you could tell that he had some experience with this game, but like the hat dude actually got a cheer moment from me. He has a cool kill with his hat, but it's totally unbelievable. Like they know this character is bad. I don't know why they brought him in. Combat has like a lot of characters. I don't know why he had to bring this guy in. He is bad, a bad design. But there were some cool creature designs I enjoyed. Some of the directing was actually, I thought, pretty well done. So I would say that people can't enjoy this movie. I'd give it a weak recommend. And it's on HBO Max if you don't want to spend that extra theater money. But I would say I saw this in XD. I've never had an XD viewing before. And it was actually a good experience. I thought seeing this in XD was fun. So if you want that bigger experience, I think this is a good movie for that. So I'd give it a weak recommend. Then I saw the two, um, two Zombieland movies. I just saw the whole duology there. And I believe, Patrick, you were not, you didn't, were not a big fan of this, of this series when you saw it. I think you saw the first one and didn't, wasn't a big fan of it. I just was kind of like looking yeah. for something to watch. And I was like, oh, well, you know, Zombieland, I've heard that's okay with the exception of Patrick. And I just decided to turn it on. And I actually- A notable I, outlier. <laughs> I actually enjoyed this movie. I like all the performances here. I like Woody Harrelson, Jesse Eisberg, Emma Stone. And I also like Bill Murray who pops up here. Like that was a ton of fun. I love it when Bill Murray's in this movie. And so I actually enjoyed this movie, The Romance Between Jesse Eisenberg and Emma Stone. I thought that was pretty good. Woody Harrelson was, was of course, very funny. And the, the whole the zombie kills were pretty good. They, the blood was kind of cheap looking. I don't know. Like it has that kind of uh, just very video gamey, more darker than it is like pure red. And when I want to see some go, I'm going to see it red. I want to see it red or black. You know, this kind of weird red and black mix just wasn't working for me, Patrick. I needed to be one or the other. And so that was- Did they correct it with double tap? No, they didn't. It was the exact same. What? It was like 10 years have passed and it almost had the exact same like camera work and everything. I was kind of disappointed. And I actually, I think this Zombieland was a solid, fun movie. Zombieland double tap was- Okay, it was pretty good. <laughs> Some of it <laughs> didn't work. There's this character called, I think it was Miranda, and she was really annoying. I, I couldn't stand this character. Some of the decisions they did with some of the characters, I just did not enjoy. But, you know, the cast was still fun. Woody Harrelson, Jesse Eisberg, Emma Stone, these are actors that I really do enjoy, and they were all they were all good here. What they do with the younger, uh, the like the little girl from Zombieland, and now she's, you know, she's a few, about a decade older, that stuff just did not work for me. I did not think that that was effective uh, storytelling at all. I, 
it did not pull my heartstrings at all. I didn't feel any emotion out of that. So that was a little disappointing and kind of given the short shift too, just not enough time was focused on it for it to actually turn out to be any good. So that was disappointing. There were some neat little sticks there. Bill Murray has an after credit scene, which was hilarious. Uh, he's definitely the best part of this duology. I thought he died in the first one. Well, I don't know what's going on with Bill Murray. They had a flashback, but he's no, he's obviously 10 years older. I mean, he's it's so <laughs> right. obvious, but like he's like campaigning for like Garfield 3. And all of a sudden the zombie apocalypse shows up and there, and he just takes these Garfield posters and like kills zombies. And it's just like, it's fun. You know, I know Bill Murray can't do this, but it's fun because I just, I really enjoy Bill Murray. So I would say this is a, a solid duology. I, I guess you and I differ here, Patrick. I, I think the first one's definitely better. It's got good kills, even though it looks kind of cheap. Like, I just don't think that these movies like look really good, even though they've got some clever directing, you know, with the rules that Jesse Eisenberg character has that when they like, every time they show one of the rules or anything like that, that, that was kind of cool. But with the, besides that, I did not really, I wasn't a fan of this movie. It's kind of bland, like Zack Snyder color palette, with the exception of the Snyder cut. It, it, it had that kind of bland, just, muted color feel that I really just did not enjoy. But I think this is a duology that people can enjoy. I enjoyed it. So I give a solid recommend to the first one and a weak recommend to the second one. And then last one, I saw uh, Sorcerer, directed by William Fredrickson, who directed The Exorcist starring Roy Scheider. And this was one that I was only interested in because of the poster. Um, the the poster for this is like this big truck going across, you know, one of those wooden like Temple of Doom bridges, and this guy's like on the bridge. It looks like the bridge is about to like tip over, and it and it's all in the rain in the jungle, and it looks so cool. I was like, okay, this is this looks good, and it had some good, like really strong ratings. So I was like, okay, let's do this. I love this movie. It was incredible. I was I haven't really had this like mind blowing of a movie experience in a long time. I don't know when the last time that was. I mean, it was probably since, I don't know, maybe like the Snyder Cut really where I was just loving every minute of it. Like, wow, this is incredible. And I really did just enjoy this movie. All the actors are good. Roy Scheider, he's the most notable actor that's here, I think. But all the other actors who I, I just cannot pronounce their names, but they all do a good job. This focuses on four men who have to ship this highly explosive gas that if it moves like in, in any drastic way, like if the, there's like all this, this, this liquid is underneath explosive dynamite. And if it moves, it's going to blow up. And they've got to ship it across the jungle on these big buses in this really harsh jungle. And it was just, even the, just that plot, it, it grabbed me. You know, we, we don't really have any of those really fun, like one like couple sentence plots anymore that are just like just like a few words and you're in you know like you this sounds like a really cool concept and they use it so well this movie this is not holding anything back it is a pg movie but it is not an actual pg movie it's one of those 70s pg movies like jaws that you know it's pg-13 or it's r you know so i really enjoy this movie the directing is gorgeous the way that the jungle looks is so beautiful I was, th this movie really impacted me. I was just blown away. It, it, it doesn't hold anything back. It's full of emotion. These four guys are like hiding from, uh, from things in their past. And that's why they move into this like jungle. And it's, 
it, man, it's a really impressive story. I'd give this a, a huge, a, just a strong recommend. People need to see this movie. It's such a good movie. It's, it, I mean, I think people sometimes have like apprehension about revisiting old movies. I know you don't, Patrick, but some people do, you know, just about like the way it looks and all that. And this movie, this just doesn't have that. It's a beautiful looking movie with great colors, great camera work and great acting. It, it just all around a, a really impressive movie. I think people should watch this. It's a, just an absolute, I think it's a masterpiece, quite frankly. I, I really just knew what, what Day of the Dead was for your watch reasoning. This is for mine. I was blown away by Sorcerer. So I'd give that one a strong recommend. There's a really funny interview with William Friedkin and Nicholas Winding Refn talking about Sorcerer. Oh, you yeah? should definitely look it up and watch it. <laughs> awesome. It's like, it's pretty long, but I watched the whole thing and it is so funny. There's a point where Nicholas Winding Refn says that Drive is up there with 2001 and Citizen Kane. And William Friedkin is like completely freaked out by like the audacity of it's it's really funny you should check out the whole thing is great it's full of hilarious moments so that's great yeah well, I was actually interested in the movie because of the that interview I think you'd really enjoy this movie Patrick it, it, I think it's right up your alley actually but Dracula is kind of a joke but this is actually <laughs> this is really up your alley I think you'd enjoy this I'll give um, it a shot yeah so that is all that we've seen so let's get to make Patrick we're at the end of our Fincher retrospective I've gotten to know what were your expectations going into make um, I was expecting basically David Fincher's take on old Hollywood, kind of like mm -hmm. Quentin Tarantino with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Coen Brothers with, uh, what was that called? Uh, oh, no. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, my gosh. Caesar something. Hail uh, Caesar. Hail, yeah, Caesar. Hail Caesar. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's kind of what I was expecting. So, um, I, I mean, not really much more than that. Yeah. For me, I've seen this movie before. I had watched this movie. I had just seen Fight Club. I had seen Seven. So I had seen some pretty good movies, as we've talked about. And the here that Fincher actually had a movie coming out this year in just actually a few days. Like, by the time I'd seen Fight Club, I heard Mank was coming out in a few days. It was on Netflix. I wouldn't have to buy it. I could just watch it. And... I was so excited and I just, I made some mistakes watching this movie. I came in with the wrong expectations. I came in wanting a creepy David Fitch movie like Seven. Even though I knew this was about old Hollywood, I'd figure, oh, this is David Fitch. He's going to do something, you know, he's going to make this creepy somehow. And he doesn't, spoiler for this movie. I mean, this is a, this is not a scary movie like Seven or disturbing in some ways. It's got some, I think, suspenseful scenes actually. And so like, we like kind of a bit on the edge of your seat moments. It's got a couple of those, but it is not, a, it's not seven. It's not five club. It's not gone girl. It's di different. I think from anything we've talked about with venture before. And I also watched this on my laptop, big mistake, <laughs> wrong move. And I make fun of people for doing that all the time. And it was really embarrassing for me to realize I'm probably watching this movie in the wrong context. It's just, it's just not the right setting for a David Fincher movie. So the directing just kind of, I wasn't able to appreciate it, you know, on a computer. I just think that you can't really do that most of the time on computers. There are a few. It depends you, on the computer. Yeah, sure. absolutely. And, and you your know, audio. Yeah, and mine, neither of mine is anything really impressive. And David Fincher is a director I think you need to see on the big screen or on a actual, you know, television. And I think it's really unfortunate this movie only got a few weeks 
in theaters when the Oscar nominations kind of came out, you know, they released it in theaters. I didn't get to see it there. I wish I could have, but um, yeah, I, I came out, I gave it a four-star rating on, um, on Letterboxd, but I think in my heart, I knew I enjoyed this movie at a three-star level. It just, I don't know why I gave it four stars. If I could go back, I would, because that wasn't what I was feeling at the time. But going in, returning, reset expectations, I'm thinking, let's, David Fincher is just here to tell his take on classic Hollywood, like, like you were thinking, Patrick, and um, I also was able to watch this late after Sorcerer, so it was a little late, it was around, you know, nine, and it was, so it was pitch dark outside, I was the only one up, and, you know, I was just there with me and my notepad, taking notes, and, um, I definitely saw this movie in the right context, I think, with the right expectations, people, whether we recommend this or not, you don't need to go in thinking it as the David Fincher creepy movie, and if you see the trailer, you'll know not to expect that going in. I saw the trailer and just kind of ignored it. Like, I was just like, okay, yeah, whatever. David Fincher, you know, he's still going to do something creepy. But yeah, this is not a creepy movie. It's a very, uh, not a straightforward movie in any way. We'll get into the, we'll get into that editing, Patrick. I got a few things to say, <laughs> but it, it, it is a very, uh, it's it's not here to creep you out or anything like that. It's It's got suspenseful moments, but it's here to, it's, it's mainly about themes, character, and, and it's not about really the atmosphere of terror like most David Finch movies are. Though I do say that atmosphere is a key part of this movie and, and the setting definitely is something we'll get into. And this movie actually picked up two Oscars, which I was surprised by because not a lot of people like this movie. And that was uh, something that- What did it win for? Um, I think best cinematography and best, uh, uh, I think it was, Maybe best, no, not best costume design because Ma Rainey's Black Bottom won for that. I it might have been a set design. I think I'm not sure. I'll I'll, I'll double check if you're talking for, at some point. But yeah, so this movie just was not received very well in certain areas. There, some people really hate this movie. Some people just kind of. So I know there's a niche people out there who really love this movie, but for the most part, this is at, sitting at three point four right on with panic room you know so it's it's around that area if you were to go by ratings and we'll, we'll link into it whether we agree with that with that statement or not but anyway once we once i press play on the movie the first thing i noticed is trent reznor but <laughs> not the trent reznor we know I'm going to say, right. if you guys want to see a trip, if you guys want to listen to like classic Trent Reznor music, this score, this score sucks. It's just not <laughs> good Trent Reznor music, but I do think this is good music. I think this is impressive stuff. It mixes, you know, the classic, you know, 1940s, 1920s type of music, but it has a little bit more darker, more sinister meaning behind it. I noticed it's a pretty dark score. Still, you know, not Trent Reznor's soul. It's it's definitely much more, much more toned down. Very, very ominous. And I think it's a good score. I I liked it. I not I don't think I'd listen to a lot of this music on my own. You know, like I do with the Sister Network or Gone Girl or Girl with the Giant Tattoo or even soul, but I do think this is a, this is good music. It aids a lot of it. I think it's all part of the atmosphere here. And we're also, you know, these opening credits, it's like, I, you know, for me, when it gets to this style of opening credits, I go to Wizard of Oz, right? That's, 
when I see these black and white kind of scrolling up from like a, from like an angle, like I'm thinking, okay, yeah, this is, this is Wizard of Oz. And you know what? I like, I saw a bit of the artist. I don't know if you know what that movie is. It won best picture, I think in 2011. And it, it like had this silent film, like it was, you know, made like it. Charlie Chaplin type of thing. I saw a little bit of it and it's just like, okay, this is kind of pretentious, you know, like <laughs> really this is what you're doing. And, you know. The same movie in color. Not pretentious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so with what David Fincher's doing here, I actually heard some people criticize that not every like old movie decision he's doing here is actually factually correct. And that really, for me, I'm not a snob in that particular area. This, I like that this movie is stylized in a very similar way to older classical films. It worked for me. And the one thing that Fincher does that I just, I don't like, I, I never went with it, is the typewriter flashback type of thing. That never worked mm-hmm. for me. And it's like, but it, and what's even the nail in the coffin really is that it like, it like goes down like when you're, you know, flipping the typewriter to start a new line or something like that. That was where I was like, okay, this is just, you know, that is just not how I wanted this movie to go. It's a little, it's a little pretentious, I feel. I did not like that bit, but you know, the cigarettes on the, the, the cigarette spots on, on the film, all of that. I, I really did enjoy those little details. I thought that was cool when the film reel switches and all that type of stuff. I know that from, I know about the cigarette birds from Fight Club, from David Fincher. So getting to see <laughs> that actually play a role in his movies, that was, that was pretty cool to see. So I do think that, you know, just as an opening to the style with the music and when we get an introduction to Gary Oldman and, and Lily Collins, I, I think this is all kind of working fairly well here. And I'm excited to see where this style is going to go. And I'm already noticing, I'm appreciating the directing features got going on just so much more than I was when I had my Chromebook, you know, when I'm watching it on my lap, on a, on a drive, you know, and it, that I'm already noticing, I'm watching this movie in the right context. Yeah, the cinematography <clears throat> blew me away pretty early on. The mm-hmm. um, the couple shots of the cars driving past is one of, one of the earliest shots. Um, reminded me of like Sunset Boulevard, you know, like mm, classic absolutely. Hollywood style cinematography, which I thought was great. And like, you know, one thing I noticed about this movie is that almost everything in it is like a metaphor for something else in the movie or something in Citizen Kane, or yes. like it's just a meta comment on the movie itself, which mm-hmm. I mean, we'll get into like, I think it works sometimes, sometimes it doesn't work mm-hmm. as well. But um, overall, I appreciate the kind of thought that went into that, which I, you know, we don't always get with movies like uh, Mortal Kombat, I'm assuming. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I was, I was, <clears throat> excuse me, I was appreciating seeing something like that in mm-hmm. 2021, because I feel like, you know, recently we've been getting kind of like, not, <clears throat> not, I don't know, not as artistic. Mm-hmm. films and maybe that in itself is pretentious but on that line I didn't mind the text um mm-hmm. the typewriter text you know I yeah. it, it, obviously it was one of those meta you know like this is a script you know this is just a movie <laughs> like the thing they're talking about in the movie it's like okay yeah we get it but I mean I thought stylistically it looked fine like um it, it didn't throw me off I didn't think it was campy um, which it, it could have been, yes, but it could I, have. I, I think it was fine. 
Um, and Gary Oldman intrigues me pretty early on too. Yeah. So when we get into this opening scene, it already I'm already getting it a, a grasp on this movie style, what it's going to be like, what can I what I can expect going forward. It's moving rapidly, right? I mean, this movie is not going to you. The biggest problem I had with Mank on first thing, I did not understand everything that was going on. And I have a feeling you only saw this once, Patrick, and I'm interested in seeing how much of this movie you grasped. I picked up a bunch of stuff. Like, it was almost like I saw this movie for the first time, rewatching it. I was, you, the, all this Upton Seed Claire stuff totally went over my head first viewing. I just didn't grasp any of that. I was so confused with the names. I thought this was a guy that we saw on the dinner party thing. Like, I'm trying to figure out who it was. Thankfully, I had a history class mid rewatch telling me um, who Upton Sinclair was. So I know about the jungle and all that stuff. So knowing about kind of his character, that made me grasp some of the politics that this movie is going for much better, much, much better. I was able to ride with it so much easily, so much easier. And when we've got Gary Ullman here, Gary Ullman, great actor, right? We've talked about him before on the show with The Dark Knight. I just talked to him with Dracula. He's good in Dracula. He's great in The Professional. He's great in uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. He's good in everything I've seen him in. Romance. True Romance as well. Oh my gosh, he's wonderful in True (laughs) Romance. Yeah. Um, He's, I think he's very good here. I I like Gary Oldman in this movie. It's a weird performance. I knew going in Gary Oldman, when I was sitting down watching all Oscars, Gary Oldman was not going to win Best Actor. I just knew it. It's such a different performance that I knew the Academy just was not going to give its due recognition. I do think they went with the right decision, though. Anthony Hopkins deserved to win for The Father. He was incredible in that movie. It was a, a mind-blowing performance. And I'm definitely happy that he was the one who won. I wish Anthony Hopkins had showed up for the Oscars because they did Best Actor last and not Best Picture. And um, it was Walking Phoenix presenting at the end and Anthony Hopkins just didn't show up. And it was a really awkward way to end the Oscars off. But anyway, anyway, I think- <laughs> Not they're... as awkward as that La La Land makes up. <laughs> <laughs> very true, very true. <laughs> and so Gary Elman's doing a good job here. I, I, for me though, rewatching this movie, the thing I'm impressed with the most is Lily Collins here as this kind of, this lady who's helping Gary Oldman or Mank type out his script. And I really love this character, actually. I think Amanda Seyfried, she got, you know, the Oscar recognition. I think deservedly so. We'll get to her later. But I really loved Lacan to this movie. I wish she and Mank, I wish I got even more of their banter because I think it works really well for me here. And that was what I was loving the most. And I'm also noticing that the while we're getting a different style of Fincher, this is still a David Fincher movie. All his signature directing is still here. The the um, perspective shots where we're, you know, we're, we're focusing on their eyes when they raise up, the camera goes with them, the camera tilts and all of that, it's all still here. When they're passing, um, I don't know if it's a notepad or something around in this opening scene, the camera's going right along with it and we're getting characters coming in to that frame. That was all stuff that I was enjoying here and that's David Fincher directing. And so with Benjamin Button, we were kind of like, this doesn't even feel like a David Fincher movie, but with Mank, I'm totally... I'm totally going for it. Like this feels like a David Fincher movie. And so I'm getting a little more enthusiastic about it. And I just, we never, I don't think we ever like 
truly has had a movie like I, you know we had Trumbo right with Brian Cranston and um we, we had that and we have had movies that have focused on screenwriters but it's like oh my gosh I'm getting absorbed by my scripts you know like oh my gosh I've like a, like Anthony Hopkins made a movie about a scriptwriter with where like he starts seeing his characters in real life or whatever and that's the type of movies we get with scriptwriters we didn't I don't think we ever actually get a movie that focuses on you know, the injustice that screenwriters can get sometimes. And this is what that movie does. I think a whole lot people make fun of Mank because he's a scriptwriter. He doesn't get paid a whole lot as much as the other people he hangs out with. And that was, I think, a very good thing this, that this movie did because scriptwriters are underappreciated. And to get to see a movie that kind of, it doesn't always focus on that, but it does give reference to that, that problem that I think is still in Hollywood. And the, to see reference to that, I, I thought that that was, uh, I think that was effective. And one of the themes that I, I appreciated the most. Yeah, back to Lily Collins, I, I thought she was good. I wasn't like, there were a lot of performances here that I thought were good, but not like blowing me away in any mm -hmm. way or, or really intriguing in any way. Her story is kind of interesting but at the same time like when her story comes back around later on in the film like I was like oh yeah I kind of forgot that that happens but yeah know, with, her husband, with her husband yeah, yeah that did like, not work for me that was something I was like okay this is I see what you're going for but that just did not connect with me and I kind of I was with you I I had to remember like oh oh yeah 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 her husband yeah that was one of the things I would I was I didn't like as much but she has a new character kind of getting a hold of Banks character that's yeah. what i liked about her performance the most yeah good performance um i just i feel like this is a very performance-led film but some of the performances aren't as strong as i would like them to be or mm -hmm. aren't as unique as i would like them to be and we'll get into some of the other ones as we go through but th this was the first one that i thought was good i liked lily collins here it just wasn't i don't know it was missing something for me i don't know what it was yeah, and something I'm also noticing with this opening, and this is not just referring to the opening scene, just in general, you know, the dialogue, right? I mean, this is big thing we got to mention here. This is written by Jack Fincher, David Fincher's deceased father. And that's it. <laughs> no other scriptwriter. Like, I don't think, I don't know if anyone even came in to polish this up. I bet David Fincher did a little bit, but I mean, like, this is a Jack Fincher written movie. And he's got, he hasn't written any other movie. This is his sole credit. And I'm really noticing that we're under a completely different buyer than I'm normally in with Fincher because this, this dialogue is moving rapidly. It's going quick, right back and forth. Really just quick kind of subtle one-liners that we do get in Fincher movies, but very much more 1940s, right? You know, it is a, a lot different style of one-liners that we're getting here, but I do, I like it. I, I like this script for the most part. I think the dialogue um, works really well for me. Every time we have a like an intellectual political conversation, I'm all in with this movie. The actors are convincing me that this is all running like this, that this is an actual conversation happening. And the script is just a lot of fun. I think I, I do enjoy this movie's intellectual political debates when they come and when they have them. And that's a big portion of the movie. And so this dialogue is already kind of I'm already getting into it. I'm already getting a hint of what this movie's style is going to be like. And I'm liking it. I'm liking the quick 
back and forth dialogue. It's it's similar to Aaron Sorkin, but at the same time, it's completely different. It's not that, you know, that kind of, you know, really smart type of dialogue. It's really just, it's moving really rapidly. And things are happening. You got to remember that. Like, they're not going to linger on anything specific. You've got to remember these names because they're not really going to tell you who they are again. You've got to remember them. And that was one of the big struggles I have for this. For me, this was a more confusing watch than Tenet in some areas, just because there's so many sneaking names here. But, you know, we also get Orson Welles through a phone call. I like this actor who uh, plays Orson Welles. He's got the voice. He's got the presence. And I love the reference to Heart of Darkness that he's auditioning for. That was such a great little uh, little tease, you know, because I know about that, you know, since I'm a fan of that documentary about Heart of Darkness. And I'm also a fan of the Apocalypse Now movie. So that was all, that was really cool to mention. I like the Wizard of Oz references that we got a couple of times that make us really skeptical. It's it's not going to work, Wizard of Oz. That was <laughs> something I really enjoyed as well. So yeah, I like Wells here popping up. When he shows up while Mank is in the hospital, I love the way that scene is shot with Mank in bed and the way Wells comes in with that kind of iconic figure that he had in that little documentary about the magicians that he did or the the con men. He's got that little image there. And the way he comes up, he's so blurry. It's just a dark image. It's great directing. And I love that scene. I think when Wells shows up here, he's got the voice, he's got the figure. I, I like it when he shows up. Yeah, again, the cinematography is great. And it, it's Definitely got a dreamy atmosphere, I think, aided mm-hmm. by the soundtrack. Um, as far as the dialogue goes, it's pretty strong. I was a little worried at times. There's definitely like some some uh, lulls where I was like, uh, I'm not really feeling this scene or that scene. But overall, the, the dialogue was strong. There were some mm-hmm. really great moments, really funny moments. Some of the references, I didn't know. I was like, oh, they're like, I would hear them say something and I was like, don't get that probably a reference to something but that's great you know <laughs> yeah like i enjoyed you know him calling him joe conrad and all that mm-hmm. um so there was enough that i did get for it to be entertaining throughout and i think as far as the story writing in general there's some really powerful moments and we'll get into like the editing you know going back and forth mm-hmm. with, between the two times but i was really as they were doing that i was thinking okay these scenes better start to line up and come to a point where there's some kind of like overlap metaphor, like some, there has to be some kind of connection here that's very direct. And they did eventually. So I was like, okay, then it was satisfying. Mm -hmm. It was like, all right, this is, this has been worth the journey as far as like hopping back and forth, which it, it was a good way to do it because if the whole last like 30 minutes of this movie was, or I guess 40 minutes or longer, was just Mank sitting around, you know, this house, kind yeah. of, right? I, I wouldn't have gone along with you that. You gotta I keep it the, moving, I agree. Yeah, and I thought the um, flashback scenes were, at times, more interesting. Mm, definitely. I appreciate some of the smaller moments with Gary Ullman and Lily Collins a lot more than some of the other flashback scenes, but for the most part, I appreciate when we flash back more because, you know, you, you can get only so much of Gary Ullman in a bed. You know, he's doing great. <laughs> like, Gary Ullman is pulling it off with a broken leg in this bed. Like, he's doing a good job, but yeah. I, you can, you just get a little something more out of it. When we get that, you know, I'm, I'm flashing forward a little bit with, with um, oh, what's his face? Oh, Louis B. Mayer, when he's walking around through the studio and he tells him the three rules of movie making or whatever, he walks yeah. in, he gives the speech to those people and he's like, how'd they do and all that? And we're moving just so quickly and the camera's doing those tracking shots. Like it's just, there's something so energetic about those scenes 
that I really do enjoy. And it, we're also like setting up a bunch of like characters that we haven't even met yet. Like with the um, reference like, oh, there's rumors that this is based on a, you know who or whatever. They don't even say his name. I'm thinking, oh, Howard Hughes. Like that's who I'm thinking <laughs> for. Because I always thought you know, Sissy Kane was kind of a reference to Howard Hughes, you know, that kind of shut in and the later years of his life and all that really, you know, on the rise, but then kind of the shut in, you know, and that's why I thought this movie was kind of going for that or that's what they were referencing to. At first, I actually put that in my notes. I put Howard Hughes reference right at the beginning. <laughs> we find out later it's based on Charles Dance's character. And so that was something I was like, oh, oh you know and that was something that I had to really re-register for a second and that once we realized that that completely opened my eyes to a whole new side of this movie new dangers politically that were being set in and that was a really cool realization for me and it, it's I, I felt kind of bad I'm just now noticing this on 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 like second viewing I think it's one of the reasons people just didn't connect to this movie is because they're not catching all those plot threads so while I am getting it on this second viewing I definitely think there are some people that are just not going to understand everything this movie's staring at you. And I'm not going to blame them because it's, it is tricky to follow. And I had to rewind a couple of times, you know, to see who they say. I thought that there was a character, the character Willie is Charles Dance's character. I thought that that was the name for the brother. Like I just get so confused Joe. with these names, Joe. Yeah. I thought he called them Willie. Like that was their childhood nickname or whatever. <laughs> I was just, Oh my gosh. I was just so lost, so confused, but what's everything fell into place, I, I, my eyes were completely open to a whole new side of the movie that I really did enjoy. Yeah, I was, I was enjoying the story throughout. I think the flashback scenes are definitely, um, a lot of them are setting up the scenes later on mm -hmm. where people are coming to kind of dissuade him from, dissuading Mank from being connected to this picture. And we really see why. Um, you know, all with all the political and social, you know, uh, uh, machinations that are going on. Um, and I think that they're set up really well. Those are probably my favorite scenes in like the, the now portion of the film or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that uh, they owe that, they owe a lot to the flashback scenes with those um, later scenes. And I obviously I would probably have to rewatch it to see if I missed anything the first time. Um, I didn't find it difficult to follow as far as like the plot and the characters, but mm -hmm. sometimes the dialogue was kind of like, like someone would say something and I would be like, okay, I'm not like, is that a reference to something? Like, I'm not really <laughs> sure. Like what, is that just like forties speak or something, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so I, I was, I, if I had trouble tracking it, it was more with that. And like you said, it was moving so fast that, you know, I didn't really have time to mull it over. So that's what I would be focusing on, on a rewatch is like following the dialogue and trying to understand the jokes more. Although I was laughing or not, not laugh, but I was chuckling throughout. I had a smile on my face. There's plenty of humor throughout every scene. Yeah, I was chuckling. I was smiling. Gary Ullman's bank. He's a he's a fun kind of roguish character to follow. Like, I think he's an interesting guy. Like, he definitely brings in some energy to this film that I think is enjoyed. And so yeah. I like some of this banter. I like it, you know, when he's like insulting Louis B. Mayer at the party and all that. Mm -hmm. Just those little little digs, you know, that Fincher does and 
apparently he gets from his father, you know, that, that <laughs> was something that I enjoyed. And, you know, with this, the references that confused you, Patrick, I loved because I didn't get them, right? I didn't get some <laughs> of the references, but I like that we're referencing so many old, you know, little, little films in Hollywood that we probably didn't think is anything big, but was a big deal when, when like this movie was taking place. And right, so that that's a was, good point. That was cool. I was like, you know, I'm not understanding this, but those little details, I'm, I appreciate that. And yeah, I know, definitely felt transported to a world that I didn't, I wasn't quite comfortable mm-hmm. with. I, I guess what you're saying, I agree, definitely. Yeah, and you, you talked about the editing. I haven't really shared my hand on it. I think the editing for this movie is, is good. I like the editing. It's very abrupt sometimes. Like I'm kind of like, I want to see a little bit more of that at its out scene. And that's a hundred percent intentional by Fincher. I, I get that, but I, I do think that it works. I, I think this should have got nominated for best editing. I think that it's really impressive stuff. However, this is, you know, Patrick, this is Citizen Kane editing, right? I mean, this is exactly what Citizen Kane did. I got that. I was like, oh yeah, you know, this is what we're referencing here. Yeah. And I am a skeptic of citizen kane i understand its greatness i understand why people like it so much in some cases it's never going to be one of my favorite films not even close it's not even in my top 100 it's just like i appreciate this movie but you know what i don't love it i just appreciate it as a work of writing and that editing though was very impressive in citizen kane i think it's done better in citizen kane than it is done in mank because citizen kane it flowed i feel like just so much smoother so much more beautifully than Mank does here, where I'm appreciating it as kind of, you know, like energetic and things like that, suspenseful in some moments. But Citizen Kane, that editing had a lasting power on me that I don't think Mank does necessarily. But I mean, you know, if you really want to say, oh, well, you're comparing Mank to one of the greatest films of all time, whatever, I don't think it is necessarily. I Even though I do think it's a, it's a good movie, I, I just don't think it's as incredible as some people say it is. And um, I, I think some of the difference here is that with Citizen Kane, a lot of the scenes end with kind of a bang as far as the dialogue is concerned. With mm-hmm. Mank, it's like the scenes end sometimes, at least for me, with a bit of a like question mark. Yes. Instead of like a period. So the since it was flowing so fast, it was like, what? Question mark? Oh, next scene. Okay, I guess I'll have to like, you know, whatever. Like I'll contextualize <laughs> it later. But Citizen Kane is much more like the dialogue is bing, bang, boom, scene over, kind of like, like a Tarantino or something, yeah. you know? And um, one of the other scenes that was a very direct reference to Citizen Kane, they even like say it outright in the scene is when uh, Orson Welles has a little breakdown, like throwing the <laughs> wow, liquor yeah. cabinet. That scene felt pretty flat for me, like especially in comparison to the complete destruction, you know, within like the scene in Citizen Kane, like that's one of the standout scenes of the mm-hmm. movie for me. And in this one, it was like a, a, a like a, it's like an uh, Easter egg. Unins- you know? Yeah. It was like an uninspired nod at best when it like, and by comparison, it suffered more than it would have if they were doing something new, which I think is with the editing, there's a little bit of that too. Although I enjoy the editing and I don't think there's anything wrong with it really. Mm-hmm. The fact that it is reminiscent of Citizen Kane to me kind of detracted from it a bit. Yeah, and I I understand that absolutely. I'll get we'll get to the scene. I'll straight I think of it, and I, I understand absolutely what you're saying. You know, there there aren't actually many nods to Citizen Kane as much as I thought there were going to be. There are, you know, there are some with the editing and and that scene, and there were a couple others. 
I mean, they kind of like say what's so weird is like there is a like Charles Dance's character is the character that Citizen Kane is based on, but he's also for the audience of Citizen Kane, like a, like he's the Citizen Kane of the movie or whatever. And so like that kind of like meta knowledge, that was kind of neat. And we'll get to Charles Dance's character, but you know, when we're, we and this like first act or whatever, like we're getting Mank and his like riding buddies, I guess, kind of like just move all around, you know, and that stuff's kind of fun. Um, the scene where they like pitch the um, really bad idea for a movie, like mm-hmm. that, I don't want to see that movie. That sounds like a really bad idea, but <laughs> I, like the, but the way that they're, they're like pitching it is fun. And it's only because the, uh, the, the kind of wimpish dude messes it up a little bit, but like, they've got some charm into like blood fire religion you know and that stuff's fun i did enjoy that that little energy that the film had and gary ullman is really adding a lot to those scenes there so when we were getting those little light scenes there we're also kind of seeing that you know make does have alcohol issues he has gambling issues he's not good at cards is what i'm getting i think he's pretty bad at it which is i think a really you even know how to read a good hand <laughs> right and Something that this movie kind of lost me on is I don't really feel like this is an alcoholic story. Like, Mick stays in alcohol. I think that's why he dies at 55. I think he just, like, he doesn't really stop, you know? That's not really something that's resolved. And that was something kind of tragic I felt about the movie, something interesting that I don't know if he's really changed much. I mean, he's getting this one win, but I don't think he's any different by the end of this movie. He's going to continue being a gambler and alcoholic is what I get, even though he might respect his wife a little bit more. He might not have like, uh, like typewriters with like barely any clothes on that. He probably won't have those people on anymore. But at the same time, I do feel like he's still going to be drinking. And that was something kind of ironic and a little bit tragic. I don't know how I feel about it, to be honest, but we get these little teases here to his gambling alcohol. And that's what what I feel like this first act is doing for me. So when he comes back in the third act and he is just drunk out of his mind in that big, big party scene, like you, you get it, you know, you've seen that play throughout the movie. Yeah, definitely. This movie is a portrait of a man who had one really notable success. And it's kind of about that really notable success and what it meant for his life. It's kind of like this, the line that he says in the movie, you know, you can't portray a whole man's life in two hours. You can just leave an impression. Yes, I love that line. Yeah, and we get the impression and we get the impression of the alcoholism. And when they have like the little epitaph thing at the end, I felt like that was all the nod that they needed to mm-hmm. like the tragedy of his alcoholism, you know, like besides the way that he ruins himself and never really, you know, gets it under control, which is tragic in itself as it's playing out. But the fact that he died so young to me hit as like a a nod to the tragedy of it. Um, And yeah, I like the scenes with his writing buddies. I like the whole BS artistry of the (laughs) uh, pitch scene. And it happens a couple of times later too with the, the, um, uh, what's his name? The the production company guy that's kind of like, yes, mayor. Um, you know, he has the little BS artistry scene. You know, the whole like facade of Hollywood is really funny. It. Yeah, it, they even nod to it at the end with the interview um, with Mank when he's like, "That's just the magic of the movies." That's <laughs> I why love Orson it. Wells I love that to... irony. It's yeah. one of the best things about the movie. This is not a love letter, and I think it, people need to make that really clear. Once upon a time in Hollywood was a, was a love letter to Hollywood. Absolutely, Tarantino's in awe of that '60s era of movies. 
Venture is like, um, you know, 60s might have been fun, but back in the 40s, it was pretty darn bad. There is a Venture loves to hate. <laughs> yeah, this is a definitely a Venture take on Hollywood. I mean, this is a like a really cruel workplace. I mean, when we get our introduction to Louis B. Barrett, we can go ahead and talk about that scene. I mean, like he comes in, like tells people oh, we're going to reduce probably 50% of your salaries. And I'm so sorry, but I'm just going to have to. And the actor who does that scene, I think does a great job. I think he's really good throughout this movie. Definitely one of my favorite performances. I think Louis B. Mayer is a fun character every time he shows up, but there is something so sinister and dark about the character. When his, one of his friends like dies, he like fake cries and you see him throw the tissue away later as he's driving off, you know, just the, the coldness that he has, the lack of caring, of caring he has was something really dark and very, very venture. And I loved it. I love that scene where he's walking around Hollywood signing, you know, little clipboards as he's talking to Gary Oldman and Joe. And that whole little, the directing was really good there. The, the actor is really pulling it off. It's a really fun bit of dialogue and monologue. And that really worked for me. I loved that scene. And yeah, Louis B. Bear, big jerk, big jerk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what I love about that character is that those scenes all are even funnier in retrospect when you realize that all his money is coming out of New York and that he doesn't actually like own the studio or like no has no power yeah. whatsoever but he makes you feel like he does yeah which i mean again that's like it's the facade going on in hollywood which is pretty funny and it's definitely the cynical take that's like you said expected from david fincher i mean fincher probably does not like most studio heads i mean he's had a really <laughs> rough time with studios and to see him have a whole movie basically about how awful studios are is all is amazing because i'm frustrated with studios sometimes and i'm not even in the hollywood business you know so just to see them kind of poke fun at them and really shows how how bad they can be sometimes the louis b bears is the best representation of that and just little details this character has like you said he's got like it's all coming out he does not own the company you know it's just those little things where he has no power but he's the face of the company he's the mascot and that was so cool. I, I really did enjoy those scenes. And we'll be, then we get an introduction to Charles Dance and uh, Amanda Seyfried. And I think this is a good scene too, just because I like this set that they're around. It, it mm -hmm. does feel like you could you get the type of feel of the movie they're making. Amanda Seyfried, we uh, know her from Twin Peaks Return. That's what I know her from. She's also in like, was it Bean Girls of Lindsay Lohan or something like that? I haven't seen it. I, uh, on my first viewing, she was my favorite part about the movie. That was the one who impressed me the most. She brought a lot of energy to the movie. She still does. I don't think she's my favorite part about the movie anymore. But when I was sitting down to watch the Oscars, I was torn whether that, um, whether the grandmother from Minari should have won or her. And the grandmother from Minari did, and she gave a great Oscar speech, and I really loved that performance. So I think that, that she got the deserved win. But Amanda Seyfried, I really do like her character here, even though some of the plot lines around her, I don't really care about much. Like, I feel like this might be one of the things you were referring to earlier, Patrick, with her character, because... I, I, okay, here's one of the things I didn't get for assuming. She and Charles Dance are like a thing. I thought, that, <laughs> like, I thought that was her dad first view i'm like i'm like she yeah. says pops yes that was it for me like yeah that's her dad i boom there you go like that was just so surprising me in this movie to realize oh my gosh they're a thing 
whoa, like yeah. that just was, uh, that did not, <laughs> that was thing I just did not pick up on, but it's a good detail. Like, I think it's a relationship in Hollywood that uh, is so a lot of disdain even now, but is in a relationship that is there often nonetheless. And that was a cool thing. I think Amanda Seyfried's great in this movie when she and Mank are walking around that little hedge maze with the animals in the zoo. It's one of the highlights of the movie. We'll get to that scene later on. She's really good. She's holding her own. She deserved to be nominated. I think she does a fantastic job here. I, I love her character, even though some of the plot lines around her, I wish we spent more time on because there's a lot of potential there. Yeah, her chemistry with Gary Oldman is great. And it's exactly what it should be. It's nothing more like like uh, his wife says later, you know, his silly platonic affairs, that's exactly what it is. But we see why Mank like seeks this out because he is getting something out of it. Like when I thought when she rested her shoulder on his or her head on his shoulder, I thought that was a really great moment. Oh like uh, Gary Oldman plays it well. Amanda Seyfried plays it great. That whole scene, like you said, is awesome. And I think the dialogue works best when it's in the mouths of these two actors and they're talking to each other. Um, so I, I definitely really appreciate both of these performances. And I mean, the whole, like her relationship with William Randolph Hearst is another, obviously not to Citizen Kane because it's like people think that that's where, um, you know, he got the idea from and that he's painting her in the movie. And the way this movie shows it, he absolutely did. I don't doubt it at all. <laughs> this is based on those two, whether Mank says it or not. The way this movie portrays it, yeah, he based it off of these two. I don't know if that's actually how it happened, but the way this movie shows it to me, I'm yeah, he based it on these two. That's interesting because, like, I agree that the dynamic is the same. Like he's like Mank says in the movie, from the outside looking in. But I think the character in Citizen Kane is a lot more obnoxious. Uh, oh not as gosh. intelligent at all, like like <laughs> by a mile. Such an annoying character. I hated her. <laughs> We're right, but like in Mank, Amanda Seyfried's one of my favorite characters. Mm -hmm. She's so smart like, and she's funny. Yeah, right. So just from that dynamic, I can see what Mank is trying to get at with the mm -hmm. fact that he didn't base it on her. Yes, even though he did base it on the dynamic she has. Yes, is she's a different character in Citizen Kane. Yes. I, I agree. That's actually 100% true. Yeah, this is a lot different from that character we got in Citizen Kane. And I have a more, I enjoy her a lot more than I do that character because Amanda Seyfried, yeah. I think, is, I like her performance better, quite frankly. And I <laughs> just, the character is much more fun to watch, much more enjoyable. And when Charles Dance shows up, I mean, we talked about him in Alien 3. He's doing, I thought he was good in Alien 3. He's doing great work here. I, love charles dance's movie i'm it's all he's not in it a whole lot he's on the poster i thought it was gonna be he was gonna be in it more but he's only in it for a little bit and he is incredible i love him in every scene he's got he's he didn't even say a whole lot in the scenes he's in but when we get to the you know that big scene in the third act and he just is putting down his napkin oh my gosh Charles Dance is put out his back and is in trouble you know just like he's got such a great aura around him he, he just commands the screen every time and this is a legendary actor and I, I actually walked in on Jude watching the um and then the Renan little miniseries and he is in that and he is incredible and just that one scene I saw him and he's a great actor 
he's incredible here. I, my mind was blown in some of the scenes he was in. He just commands it so masterfully. He's got that old Hollywood look to him. And it's so cool when Mank is walking up to his, his little studio car and he's shooting the movie and all of that. And they have this whole, like, this like short little mini movie about like talkies and it is incredible i <laughs> love that little conversation it's so good and just the the somewhat campiness around it too like daddy likes you or whatever or pops likes you i, I still think amanda <laughs> seafried is uh, charles dance's daughter but yeah anyway it it worked so well for me i love every scene charles dances in and the character himself is just so cool i i love it one of my yeah. favorite parts in the movie I felt like he had an even more powerful presence in this movie than Orson Welles does, which I was okay with, you know, like I knew going in that this was not a movie about Orson Welles. He doesn't get much screen time, you know, like these two facts match up. Like this is, this is an equivalent, like my expectations and the reality totally in line. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't disappointed at all. And I really like this character. I can see how um, he played it to be, you know, like, it feels like this was the inspiration for Citizen Kane. Like, not the actual William Mayle Hearts. It feels like this character was the inspiration yes. for This uh, idea, Kane. absolutely. Yeah, um, which, I mean, what more can you ask? Like, that's exactly what it's supposed to be. So, yeah, really great stuff. I agree. Yeah, and, and I'm that, actually glad you mentioned that because I don't think I had really, like, appreciated what he did for the movie until mm -hmm. you said it. Yeah, and he, he continues later on the next scene, too, when they had that big party scene. I love every scene we have in this little dinner hall. I think it's, it's I love it. And you yeah. could just tell, even when Louis B. Mayer is with his friends, he's faking. I don't know if he's even real, his wife. Does he have one? I'm not sure. <laughs> like, I, I just really don't know. Any, you don't really feel like you see him in true form ever, really. He's always faking. He's always trying to please someone. It's all about the relationships he's building. Even with dance, when, like, Gary Oldman comes in and just insults dance at the end of the movie. I even feel like Louis B. Mayer's like defending of dance is a hundred percent just to build his relationship with dance. Like mm. I don't think he ever does something truly from his heart. And I love this birthday scene when, when make is still like, you know, throwing jabs at Mayer and, Darius is just laughing. He's just enjoying watching make make fun of Bear because I don't think like many of the people in this room are like fooled by make. I think every female except Seafried is and and Mank's wife. With that, I I think all the other women think that this is just a cute little old man who's just kind of in really big shoes, you know. And and that's just not how it is. And I love this dialogue. This was one of the scenes that was most confusing to me in the in my first viewing this Sinclair stuff was so confusing to me I wasn't getting it but when they're talking about it now I get it and all this talk about politics communism Sinclair all works so well for me I think it's a ton of fun they're good moral debates and I don't normally like political themes in movies but I think that the way this movie handles politics is fabulous it's a ton of fun but there's also some good actual emotional themes behind it I think it all works really well Gary Ullman's just killing it here when he's coming back from Mayor's pokes and this other dude uh who actually like dies in the movie which I did not pick up on first evening either that was cool <laughs> like I think it's Thalberg right and that's a cool character I like it when when Thalberg's in this movie and he and Mank have this one-on-one -on -one scenes in the office I think it's all really good stuff with these politics and Sinclair and Sinclair is going to be a huge theme for the later half of the movie in these flashbacks that's a big part of the movie 
the Hitler stuff is cool. And they just see for instance, that Hitler is creepers or something like that. And I was like, this is great. I'm loving it. People don't talk like this, but you know what? It's just so charming and charismatic. I, I just really do love this dining room talk. And we could talk about the, the scene out on the, and with uh, the zoo like place afterwards. But when we're in this dining room, it's, oh, it's incredible. I, I think this is incredibly great conversations. Yeah, the funny thing about Mayor, he's, like you said, he's so fake all the time that that really is who he truly is. Like, he's actually displaying his, like, deepest, like, personality. Like, that is mm -hmm. who he is at his heart, <laughs> yeah. which is funny because it's, like, kind of a paradox, but... Um, <laughs> it is. And um, his supporting character, I forgot the name, you just said it a couple Ballberg. seconds ago. I liked him even more than Mayor. I, honestly, oh, wow. I'm not as big, of, as big a fan of uh mayor's performance but Stahlberg was great i thought he was um had a really good presence and i love his dialogue with mank he seems more to be able to go to toe to toe with mank than mayor ever does um mayor's not smart enough i really just don't think yeah. Mayor's that smart enough he thinks he's smart but he's not Stahlberg is actually able to make good points against Mank that mank can't even defend and that's really cool to see yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I think earlier you might have been giving Mayor a little too much credit saying that he's like, that he's so fake all the time and like, you know, has all these ulterior motives. I'm not sure if his motives are really as thought out as all that. Um, he seems to fly by the seat of his pants a little bit more. Obviously, he doesn't really have any money or real influence backing him. So he is kind of just there as a figurehead. But mm -hmm. we find out that Mank is in a almost a similar position. So the, I mean, this is way later, but in the confrontation scene when uh, Mayor is loyal, you know, and uh, Mank is kind of not, they are almost similar characters relative to William Randolph Hearst. Mm -hmm. They're just on opposite ends of like- They're the both the court gestures, you know, and that's really right. cool to see play out. Right, right. They're like the, the two sides of the court gesture and their arguments are the joke. Yeah, it is really cool to see. And yeah, I, I agree. They both are the gestures. And just that dance doesn't have to say anything, but you totally see everything is circulating around him in this movie. And I wish he was in this movie more, but it's for the effect that he's not in it a whole lot, it's it's really effective. And when Seafried and uh, Oldman go out in the zoo place and they're having that little walk. It's so charming. It, it's really beautifully directed. Just the, the chemistry is just on fire here. You don't feel it's romantic or anything. It's just like you could totally get this relationship as kind of someone from Seaver's point of view who's a, a fan of this, this guy that he can just say what he wants and seems to get away with it, even though we kind of see it later scenes that he doesn't often. But you could see how that would attract her so much and just be in awe of this figure. And that we're having these conversations, I think is it's so cool. I wish we focused more on how actresses were around that time. And I wish we got more of that because when they bring it up in this little conversation here, that was something that I thought was pretty cool and I enjoyed that. But yeah, everything about this works for me. The little like radio thing, that was kind of weird. It started on a bit on the, an awkward note, but when we get going, it, it really started picking up momentum and really, was really effective. At this point in the movie, I was kind of really meet, really lukewarm on Mank coming in, but rewatching it, I mean, I'm just surprised by how much I'm loving this movie. And this is, this is really good stuff.
yeah, I, I was, I was along for the ride. I, you know, I, I think I set my expectations a little lower than what I got. So I was really happy with mm -hmm. this throughout. And, you know, it's telling there that we're talking more about these flashback scenes than we are in the scenes where Mank is in bed. We should probably right. mention those <laughs> just real quick, just to give mention to him, because that stuff is good. The, uh, the, the flashbacks are a little more interesting, though. Lily Collins' husband, yeah, blah, 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 that, that's fine. I will right. say the whole, the scene when we realize that the German um, nurse is, like, in debt to Mank and that he helped mm -hmm. get her whole like town or I guess colony or whatever out of Germany that was actually I think some very impressive that was something that we needed because Mank could come off as a real douchebag quite frankly in this <laughs> movie like he just is not good he's bad to his wife he's bad to his kids we never even see his kids you know and I think that we did need a scene where we feel some compassion for Mank and that he's actually he does the best he can under the circumstances sometimes and that he has helped people he's made friends along this great wacky journey he's had through Hollywood. And this is something that he's done. That was the scene we needed because when Meg brings in that secret shipment of liquor, like that's like, oh, <laughs> you son of a gun, you know, like, what are you doing? And that was, I, I think a scene, the, the, the scene that we, that Meg did do something good was a scene that we needed because I think I'd be a little more cold on this movie if I didn't care about Meg as much, but it makes him more interesting that he has done some good and compassionate things. Yeah, he, he is kind of an idealist at heart. I think that's, uh, you know, he's definitely painted more as a socialist or at least sympathetic to the idea of it. Um, I'm not sure if Fincher's dad was a socialist, but it kind of seems that way watching this movie. <laughs> um, he's definitely down on Republicans in mm -hmm. particular, which, I mean, I'm kind of against any, like, really dogmatic party affiliation. So, like, yeah. I can see, I can appreciate it without, like, being really offended, you know, even though I come from, like, the conservative South. Um, and uh, we get that a lot more, like you said, in the flashback scenes. But in the nursing scenes and him writing, I, I did like that scene with the nurse. I thought, it, like you said, it was important. I like the nurse's character in general. Uh, I mean, it's the first time bringing her up, but I think she plays it really well. She doesn't have a whole lot to do, but I think she does a really good job. Um, she doesn't, her accent was really good. You know, I, I complained <laughs> about some accent in another movie, but um, I thought this one was really good. It was not over the top, but it was realistic. I mean, she has just come from Germany where she's grown up. She probably learned English as a kid, but you know, she's, probably spoke German mostly when she was in Germany and now she's mm -hmm. here and it's just been you know a couple months I guess for I don't really I'm not sure about the timeline by the way like I wasn't paying I attention to the dates I so think this could have happened a decade ago with the German <laughs> stuff like that could have been a decade ago honestly when he freed their con I the timeline for past stuff that we didn't even see the scenes of that is a little wacky i'm not sure when that happened but um yeah I, I think that she does work really weird scene when he's getting his leg massaged that <laughs> oh, his back was getting scratched that was weird when we are getting close to the house and we just hear gary <laughs> oldman moaning like i was get i was kind of confused like what is going on here is my, like having sex or something like I was just really confused with what exactly that was going on when we figured out he's getting like a back massage I was kind of relieved I was like okay thank goodness <laughs> but, <laughs> I thought it was uh, funny <laughs> yeah it was kind of a bit of a funny scene but yeah I think the stuff in the house is working 
beautiful scene when Gary Oldman is describing the scene with, or really Lily Collins is when with the woman on the boat. That's a scene that I love from the Citizen Kane. One of my favorite bits of dialogue there. And to see that, like that just little flashback with older film and the lady turning around, that was actually, I I thought some very effective, beautiful imagery, really good scene there. And I like to see some of the struggles that, this script writer is having making this where Orson Welles is being a real jerk and eliminating the whole month from <laughs> the, from the, the thing. That's just, that is so, that is so studio, like so producer, like, and to see that move, that was, I, I really appreciated that. It's just a bit of a detail and you really feel for Mank, like, how's he going to get this done? Like I was, I'm thinking, how's he going to get more time? Right. Cause I'm like, no way is he finishing in 60 days. How's he going to get more time? But like any time that the actor as Wells shows up, like he is really charming and charismatic, like the young Orson Wells was. And that was cool. And so I am enjoying these stuff. And with, with that dude who keeps checking on Mayor, like some of the comedy around him was cool. That was some funny stuff. So that is, it's still enjoyable stuff in these flashbacks and particularly the script deadline that gave some bit, some nice bit of suspense and tension. Yeah, I think that guy that keeps showing up is more concerned about the script deadline than Mank seems to be. <laughs> Mank seems to so be funny. like, take it or leave it. I'm just writing the thing, okay? It's going <laughs> to take me however long it takes me. I don't care what Orson Welles says. I really love that. Um, you yeah. know, he was like, what do you do for pleasure? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> seems that, stressed. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't want to discount these scenes. They're just, uh, there's not as many, like, plot developments that occur there but all of the dynamics with the characters are all really enjoyable Mm -hmm. the script is pretty solid throughout and that includes these scenes when he's in bed absolutely and when we're getting we're getting deeper into the Sinclair stuff on through the flashbacks we get to that I think we should get to the Sinclair shorts right that Mayor makes Mm -hmm. I had no idea what was going on first thing I was like what are the huh like why is this a big deal (laughs) but i totally get the gravity of this now this definitely sways the election it's gonna lose make twenty four thousand dollars later on and that was it's cool you know seeing these shorts and it feels like it's definitely not as bombastic but you this is stuff that definitely still happens you know and Mm -hmm. other just in different strategies and a little more subtle ways now and so to see the these big studio heads that have that like i am totally for this hollywood people should not talk about politics as much as they do and to see how influential these producers and studio heads are and and politics that was really i think very interesting to see and felt very real and for me as someone who wish actors would just you know shut up and act i was i appreciated it this kind of the gravity of this scene here and yeah this is gonna lose make twenty four thousand dollars and this director guy he who i really feel like just is now becoming a character um, he's actually going to get, I think, a pretty effective scene later on. So the mm-hmm. politics behind this is working when Mank goes to go see Thalberg. That was a really good scene. I love the dialogue about the some actress who's you could think that makes she's forty year old and a virgin, and that uh, the King Kong's ten stories tall. All that mm-hmm. bits of dialogue was good, but Thalberg's able to keep up with Mank and 
I really did appreciate that. That that was some really good banter there. And you really feel like Mank is in a tight spot here and how's he going to get out of it? And the, and the answer is he's not. And that's what's, I think, really cool about these flashback scenes with Sinclair. And when Mank goes to see like Sinclair giving a speech, Gary Oldman just plays it so well where you, you don't feel like he is just rooting for Sinclair, but what he's saying is having some sort of impact on him. And it's in a really subtle way. And I think Gary Oldman plays it perfectly. Yeah, I think this is another, this whole situation is another moment where we get to see Mank doing something moral and ethical. Because like you said, he has some, he has some serious faults that are mm-hmm. highlighted well. But I mean, he really doesn't have much of a stake in this until he, you know, goes double or nothing. But I <laughs> wish, I don't even know why he did that. That seemed, oh, I mean, that's just, that's one of his faults actually throughout the movie. But um, he's really in here just for the like, the ethical decision like he just wants to make the right choice here and like guide people to that choice and like prevent this from happening which is great because while it is a political question it is not about parties it's about the ethics of you know the way an election is run Mm -hmm. and how the existing power is used to keep power so I really love that. I thought it was a great way to tackle a political question that was not, I don't think that's really going to be divisive, but at the same time, like, it's still kind of a problem, like you said. Yeah, yeah. So um, it, I, I thought this whole thing was great. And I really feel the director's plight. I mean, he's been pulled from a B camera operator to a director's spot. But it's yeah, you for can this. see how that would be so attractive to him, and you yeah. you get you don't feel bad at him or anything. You get why he right. did this because this is a step up for him, and so you really feel like just the pawns that are being put in here with with um, Mayor's little plot that he's got going on here, like you feel sorry for that director guy that like he's just kind of wanting to step up a little bit in Hollywood, and like it's really of, her plot. Like Mayor uh, Mayor doesn't even seem to know anything yeah. about it. Yeah, it is more of her plot to the fuel the little Republican spots over there. And yeah, I agree. There's definitely, I think there is definitely participating here. He, he is a little in more of the dark, you know, he is, he's like, oh, what are you talking about in some <laughs> cases? But yeah, what's so cool about Mary is that you don't know what he's acting and he's not. Like, I, I also feel like. Oh, he's acting the whole time. Yeah. I guarantee it. <laughs> yeah, it's so it is cool to see how much he knows and doesn't know what motivates his decisions. I think is really cool to see and when we go, you know, to the big party election night scene, we get some good moments and bad moments to make. We get some good moments of him and his wife, and then he makes like a seriously stupid bet. And I'm over there, like right with Mank, like looking at the numbers on the chart. You know, like how how much did Mank lose? Because I know Mank loses, right? Because I've this is the second time I've seen it, but I'm. And the uh, politics, I could have just looked it up, right? But, you know, I it's so cool, like, to see and, and tracking down all the numbers and all that. And it's a really weird, trippy scene when Mank is, like, smoking and, like, the, the clocks are circling all around him. That was a really weird scene, but really well-directed. And big citizen canon when Mayor gets up to the microphone and, boom, you know, that was yeah, definitely yeah. the election thing from uh, Citizen Kane which is another, I think, another solid scene. I think Venture's definitely cherry-picking some of the best scenes from Citizen Kane, I'm finding. And that was that was cool to see. And yeah, when Mank loses, you're just kind of like, wow, Mank, bad move. I, I, You can't excuse this. This is a dumb idea. Yeah, I love the editing in this scene. 
Uh, it's great. I love the passage of time and, you know, the whole like descent into this uh, election party. Yes. Great stuff. Um, I like you said, I'm, I'm right along with Gary Old and then I'm like, dude, like I understand on the one hand why you made this bet. But at the same time, I wish that you hadn't because <laughs> it would it make this not as stressful. But I mean, that's just proof that I'm fully involved in the story mm-hmm. by this point. You really do feel for his wife too. Like she's got to go throw up yeah. and all that. Like you really feel like it, you're, I'm more bad at Mank because of the consequences. His wife is probably gonna have to pay for this decision. Not even that Mank's losing twenty four thousand. That his wife's gonna have to pay for it. And I do feel like some of the subplots. Seems used to it though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I do feel like some of the subplots with his wife are do get the short shrift in a couple areas. That was one of the weaker moments for me. But I really mm-hmm. do feel for his wife here in these scenes and when they're dancing together. That that was good. I I did like I do like those moments, and so those, while those were effective, yeah, you are just trying to make bad move, man, bad move, and it gets the night gets a little worse when that director guy uh, commits suicide, and mm-hmm. that was like t- a little the, worse. <laughs> <laughs> definitely the darkest the movie went, I think, and uh, I love the whole, way the whole thing plays out. He gives him the bullets. He had a whole case. That was cool. I, I, I like that little bit. And Mank really does feel like a good guy when he's trying to convince him not to commit suicide and all that. <laughs> he, seems, he seems like he's doing, I guess, the right thing, I suppose. <laughs> you know, in the situation, it was like, I mean, I guess that was the moral decision. You know, we could debate it. but you know. <laughs> I just say, I'm thinking Mank is playing it right here. He's, he's, <laughs> he's doing a better gambling job than he is here. But yeah, when he... It is a very haunting scene, the way it all plays out. I, I like the way it all goes. It's not one of the best like scenes in movies, but I think it continues some of the strong stuff the election night has had so far. Yeah, I don't think it's a detraction at all. Yeah, and as this stuff's continuing on, let's get to the big showdown. All right, that's what I want to talk all about. Right. Let's do it. So <laughs> The make, double showdown. Yeah, Wells comes up, right? He rolls into the house. And, you know, we, have, we haven't even talked about Joe, really, Mank's brother. It's a great scene. I love that. I love that. Let's talk about that first. Yeah. Joe shows up to talk about the script. Joe's best scene of the movie, 100%. I am here writing down Mank's scene with Willie is the best scene. French pun. Because <laughs> I think Willie is Joe. So I just got so confused by all this. But, yeah, I get it. I, I really do understand, and it's it's a good scene. I, I think it's a really strong scene. It's the best Joe's been in the movie. Some of like the lightheartedness is there, but when we actually see Make admit he's a washer-up, that was good. And then the ending, it's the best thing you ever written. Like that was a really strong note to end this whole the whole scene on. De- uh, Joe has not been my favorite character. I'm just gonna say that. Like he's been kind of like the just the. the he, he has a stick up his butt or something. He's just not fun, you know, when, like, I don't think he's actually in the room when they're pitching that bad monster movie, but, like, he would be kind of that straight boring dude sitting right next to Ullman, you know, he's just not as fun. But he, the way he carries himself and all that, I think is really interesting. And uh, I like the way the whole scene plays out. Yeah, his joke's really funny. And honestly, like, went right over my head, but I laughed anyway. Like, I, I don't know, <laughs> like, I don't know French. Like, obviously, like, obviously. I the way the actors are playing it, it feels funny. You know, just the way they yeah. play it. It's a testament to the acting over everything else. That it really just does feel funny. The way they deliver it, it's great. <laughs> yeah, and I think this scene gives Joe a really important role in the film. Because I think 
Otherwise, Mank wouldn't really fight for his uh, credit because he needs that encouragement. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and I, yeah, it's a great scene. Yeah, one more scene before we get to the showdown. When Seafried goes to visit Mank, that's mm-hmm. another big one because this was when I realized they are, <laughs> they've got, they're a thing. Like that was. <laughs> But when I did realize that, I, I love this movie even more. Like, I was just like, wow, that is a great, just a, a great little, like, realization for me to have. I don't know if it's, it probably wasn't intended to be a twist. I'm just wasn't smart enough to put it together. But you know what? I, it was a cool I don't know why she calls him Pops. That doesn't make any Awful. sense. It's that really was, annoying. I, biggest mistake. I, like, I genuinely <laughs> don't have Amanda Seyfried call Charles Dance Pops because it confused me. <laughs> That's what threw me off. Like, if you took that out, I might have actually gotten something there. Like, I might have gotten that relationship. But, yeah, big mistake that they that they went that way. But, yeah, once we have this whole little scene here, and there's something, like, all of the Seafried and Oldman scenes have had this really, like, like, really just fun, heartwarming feel to them. But there's something a little more, like, cold about this scene, but also light about it. Like, it's cold, but they're brushing over it with a little bit of lightness you know covering a little bit up and you you feel like there's is some there's some tense there's some tenseness there and that was cool i i like that see it's cv's best moment it's definitely her oscar winning moment for me like if she did win the oscar that's the scene i think she that's when we get really like deep emotion from her and when most of the time she's just been fun now she's showing us truly deep emotion and that was really fun to watch and really enjoyable and yeah Olman's playing it really well here too just kind of the reconciling they come to I think is how friendships actually work a lot of the time and it felt really real very raw and I liked it I think the two guys are at the top of their game here and the the directing is beautiful with the light on the tree gorgeous looking scene yeah, um, as far as the Seafried scene goes, I love the dynamic of them being at odds, yet having respect for each other. Yes. Very refreshing in the quote-unquote modern age, um, where people just kind of like tear each other down and yes. take the basis tactics when they disagree. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I always love to see that, and hopefully everyone who watches this movie will like love that scene at least and uh, yes. hold that up, because... Uh, really great choice and you know in that way it does kind of feel like it's you know it's it almost feels historical like it's a historical Mm -hmm. artifact that two people would like be disagreeing and like be pleasant about it I mean we do it here but in general in the world like Mad Max Thunderdome anyone Patrick and I had a few disagreements (laughs) about that movie yeah dude with that movie I was just trying to like mine every like possible meaning that I could to try and like get myself through it and enjoy it and I was like let me just divulge my thought process for this but that was a fun episode it Um, was yeah and I do like the way it all plays out here I I agree the friendship is key here and that's what I am really loving about the scene and when we get to the confrontation Mel Wells shows up let's talk about Wells first like we could there's no way you could bounce back and forth like this movie does so let's just get to Wells this was a weak point for you I thought that it was good in some areas that yes. make is finally taking a stand and fighting for himself. I like that worked for me. 
when like he hits something and well everybody's like that's it like that's the stupidest <laughs> thing in movies <laughs> where like yeah. they see it and like with um bohemian rhapsody with like oh, 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 we got the song you know it's just it's so dumb it, i just don't ever go with movies when they do that it was not a good move I like the actor who's playing Wells, though, once again, I think he's doing a good job. And you, there's some real, like, tension and rivalry here, I feel like, between Mank and him. Like, it's a cold relationship. Probably a relationship that Fincher's had often <laughs> with people in Hollywood. It felt really weird, like, really real. And that's how it is, not even just with Fincher, but other writers as well. Like, there's a big thing with directing and writing rivalries, and I feel like they really captured that well. And that that was, a, that, I'll appreciate it for that moment, but as a Citizen Kane homage, it's pretty poor. Yeah, I agree. And I already talked about that part because I was kind of jumping around, sorry about that. Mm-hmm. But um, I do really like Gary Oldman's performance in this yes. scene in particular. It's one of his strong moments for sure. Um, Seafree kind of outshines him in the other one I think and even mm. Joe a little bit in his scene but here I think it's Gary Oldman's like Mank like you said laying down the law like saying what he will and will not do and it's one of the strongest moments for the character and for the actor mm-hmm. and so for that reason I didn't I did like this scene but like you said the little Wells rage out was a little uh <laughs> yeah too uh yeah it a was forced definitely forced yeah because it is the best scene of citizen kane and i feel like that's kind of something they feel like they had to show they just didn't though i don't feel like this movie is a whole lot about citizen kane it's a it's it's really not it's it's more about relationships with right with people in hollywood and that's that's what i've been enjoying about this movie so when we get to the citizen kane stuff it's just inherently not as interesting to me because i'm not a fan of that movie even though i do like it i'm not a fan and so yeah, the homage wasn't great for me, but the organ grinders monkey, oh my gosh, <laughs> when we get to the scene in the dining room, oh my gosh, I love it. It's one of Oldman's best moments in the movie. The drunkenness, it's so good. It starts out a little weird when he's coming in. It's a little off, um, but once he like hits the um, wine glass with the knife or fork or whatever, mm-hmm. that's the best editing moment when you fade to black after he hits the wine glass i want to know what's going to happen next <laughs> it's such a good little hook that they set for you there and when you come back to it he's pitching oh i love how he pitches it because it isn't citizen kane it's a, just a really first rough draft like really rough and i, I you could see some of the connections to, to citizen kane but also how make is putting too much of his personal experiences of dance and uh, Seafried into this fake little script he's got pitching here. And it's, I think the way that all works out is so cool. And when everyone's like leaving, you feel everyone's uncomfortable. And then like when Seafried and even Mayers, when he leaves and Charles Dance drops the napkin on the table, my mind blew up i wanted to know what was going to happen next and when he tells him the story of the organ grinders monkey that was a great story dance delivers it so well and when he's walking out kicks him out make will probably never come back in there again it's brilliant it's one of my easily one of the best scenes of the movie and gary Ullman's doing great dance is killing it i mean charles dance is just 
Um, I love his performance here. And maybe I'm obsessing over his performance a little too much. He's not made in a whole lot. But when he's in there, he's incredible. It's a testament to how great of an actor he really is. That he's, he makes such an impression in this short amount of screen time that he has. Just the, the and the lighting too. I mean, it's, it's incredible the way the whole thing is framed. And I think I'm pretty sure every scene ends where like the lights actually fade to dark. That was kind of a cool, it was more like a play than it was a movie, but that was something that I did enjoy. And it works best when dance throws down that napkin. That's, that's the best use of the lighting going down instead of it just cutting to the next scene. It's perfect. It, it, this is when I know that I, I was watching this, uh, I was watching Mank in the wrong context wrong circumstance because i can't believe how hooked that i'm into this movie at this point how masterful this really is yeah i agree the the menace is really palpable here not to mention just on the writing front this is a great callback like yeah. this is a drop line that mank had and now we're seeing the full like uh like fully fleshed out really great stuff um really impressive and yeah the shot for me my my favorite in this scene is the shot of dance closing the door oh my gosh it's so good really great dude looking into his eyes his eyes have kind of like this dead like cold expression the so whole time cold. oh yeah. my word it's so brilliant just it the look great. of dance is it's incredible the way he just commands the screen and the, the the story's great too and the way dance delivers it about the organ writers monkey yeah it's on the nose but I mean, it, it's, it's clever writing, I feel, just with, with the actual story words. And the way Dance is telling it, I think is just is brilliant. And it, it definitely trumps the uh, Orson Welles scene. Absolutely. Even though I do like the actors, Welles Dance is just a whole, uh, just a beast of its own here. Really doing a great job. If It's definitely, I think, one of the Oscar moments for Mank. Uh, for uh, for uh, for Gary Oldman and if Dance got a nomination, this is his big moment too because he's never been better in this movie than when he's uh, telling the organ grinder's monkey story. That that was great. Yeah. Also, another testament to his performance. I've been watching this actor in Game of Thrones for like a season. Oh, and really? A half he's in now. that. Yeah, and it took me a long time to like recognize him in this movie partly because of the black and white and, you know, some of his scenes are more dimly lit, but at the same time, like the characters, they both have a lot of menace to them, but it's quite distinct. It's really interesting. Like the characters on paper seem similar, but in action, he yeah. brings something completely different to each character. And I, I respect the heck out of that. Yeah. And I'm just glad that I'm getting, we're getting to talk about him again, besides alien three, you know, because <laughs> who's, who's good in that movie's fine, but like, to see him actually get to really work here, improve his chops, that's great. He's, I'm glad that we're getting to really full circle here. We started with Charles Dance and we're ending with Charles Dance. So that is cool to see. Yeah, I, I, I really just can't express how much I love this scene. I was enthralled, quite frankly. It was really just fantastic. And uh, for me, not really much, not anything notable happens much after this. I mean, for me, the next big thing is the Oscars. And um, that was cool. I, I also really do love the way we put a capper on the whole movie with Orson Welles, uh, the actual Orson Welles. My subtitles told me that pretty clearly. Actual Orson Welles in this radio conversation. That was cool. I had a hard time pinpointing if this was a joke or an insult. 
that's kind of something that I was confused on. Is he being mean? I don't know. Um, but I, I think I like this radio little thing here. Orson Welles has a great voice. And to see him, you could tell the actor's been doing a good job. But when, Mel, when Wells comes in, you actually hear his voice. That's so cool because it's an iconic voice, really. And so that was cool. And Gary Oldman coming out the Oscar. And uh, I, uh, I accept this Oscar like I wrote this movie without Orson Welles. And uh, that is so good. It's like, why is he going to screen credit? That's the magic of the movies. That, and then it ends there. Brilliant. I loved it. Elman plays it so well and yeah it's so ironic such great uh satire really for this movie to put that in there have that be the ending it shows this is not a love letter Hollywood sucks sometimes and that is what make is here to tell you directed by you guessed it David Fincher and yeah it's it's infected it's it's it really sucks. good <laughs> suck. <laughs> yeah and it's it's super effective I think it's it's really well done just great dialogue Dope all sucks. around. <laughs> so yeah, Patrick. I agree. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I already, I already talked yeah. about how much I love this yeah, scene. This, this is what I get for jumping around. Now I don't have anything more to say <laughs> at the end. This is just like Joaquin Phoenix at the end of the Oscars with uh, the actor not showing up, Anthony Hopkins. That's me right now. <laughs> hey, it's an honor to be Anthony Hopkins, Patrick. <laughs> yeah. It would be an honor to be Joaquin Phoenix. It's an honor just to be nominated. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get to it. Patrick, we're bringing in to our French retrospective. Last not recommendation or recommendation of the movie. Do you recommend Make and why? I do recommend it. I haven't seen a whole lot from this year. Honestly, I'm kind of behind. But so far, this is one of the best movies I've seen from this year. And for that reason alone, I mean, if you're keeping up with movies, you want to see what's best, what's coming out. This is just one of the best things that's coming out. So go watch it. Yeah, absolutely. I um, really was blown away by how much different my experience was re-watching Mank in the, in the living room downstairs, lights out, no one else with me, and the TV. You know, I'm, I don't have an impressive TV, but you know, it, it still accounts for something. And it, it was really just, it can't be expressed how much of a different viewing I had. I picked up on more things. I don't know where my mind was at watching Make the first time, why I didn't pick up some of these things. But I'm, look, this movie gets a bad rap, I think. I, I think people should take a closer look at this than what they have already. People came into this, I think like I did the first time with wrong expectations and to, to see it here now, it's a fun movie. Absolutely. It's got swagger. It's got charm. Gary Oldman does a great job as Mank here. You know, notice that I'm calling him by his actual name. I, it, it shows sometimes we just call our, the characters by their actual, by, by the actor's name because they don't really have much of a notable character name, but or notable like character presence. But that's what Oldman does here. He, you call him Mank, you don't call him Oldman. And that's something that I've, I've only called him Oldman a couple times in this episode. I mean, and only mainly I'm just referring to him, the actor. So that I'm calling him Mank shows something that like, yeah, he actually, he's transforming into this character. Yeah, I'm sticking with Anthony Hopkins should have won. I, I, I'm still, I'm still, and he did win. And I, I, I stand by that. So nevertheless, Oldman does a really good job here. He really does carry this movie. Seafried is great. 
She does a really good job. I, I mean, it really is an impressive performance. Lily Collins, I'm going to say her name again because I think she does a good job here as well. Her and Mink's little debates, I enjoyed. And um, I also really like, uh, uh, what's his face? May, uh, Mayor, he did a good job as well. And I don't remember that actor's name, but that he did a very good job. And I like that character a lot. And Charles Dance especially blew me away last half of this movie with that organ, organ writer's monkey. I mean, I gushed a lot of love on that scene and deservedly so. I feel it's a really fantastic, really just a, a fantastic scene. And Fincher, you know, I mean, coming back six years, I think he was been he was gone. He'd taken a six-year break, came back. People consider it a weak return. I consider it a strong one, just like this recommend. It's a strong recommend. And Venture definitely told the story he needed to. And, you know, I, I gave a lot of uh, guff to make what we were talking about the Oscars uh, before they happened. I could, I wouldn't mind, honestly, if, if Mank had won Best Director or Best Picture, because I think it. I consider it more in the running than most people do now. Rewatching it, even though it's past, I realize it's greatness after the fact. But still, nevertheless, cinematography is outstanding. Lighting, particularly, really impressive. Just the cigarette burns. That attention to detail that Fincher does so well is in full force here. Uh, definitely a strong recommend. I mean, for me, this is right up there. You know, with Gone Girl, Girl with a Giant Tattoo movies that just really did impress me it's in that tier you know strong recommend people need to definitely check this out and it'll it expand you really got to think more of this movie and that's good i i think the themes of this movie are incredibly strong with the relationship between seafried and oldman the politics they get into just the conversation and the script i mean jack fincher i mean too bad he's not with us anymore because he could have written some great movies because this is a really strong script yeah strong recommend absolutely (laughs) 